Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hello and welcome to What a Load of Cobblers, Clanton Town fanzine, reborn in podcast form. I'm Tom Reed, and today we've got uh, Northampton Town Sports Trust Chairman Andy Roberts back with us. Hello, Andy. Hello again, Tom. Are you all right? Yeah, not bad, thank you. Yeah, been busy in the in the garden making the most of the weather, but yeah, looking forward to a rest now. Yeah, we need the football back soon. Um, but thankfully, we've got um, yeah. you know, a big name in Northampton history uh, to talk to us today that can talk through a few not not too old memories, yeah. but a lot of happy ones. We've got um. Uh, manager took us to two Wembleys and you know various other highlights. It's Ian Atkins. Hello, Ian. How are you? Yeah, yeah, very well. Uh, all the better for looking back at a few videos and I've been reading a few a few books of your time at Cobblers and just loads of really real highlights and happy memories for you, for you and us. Yeah, I think there is. I think with the period as it is now where everything football's closed down and everybody's looking to revisit where it was maybe 20, 30 years ago and. It's still part of every club's history, basically, like to, uh, to cherish them, especially if you've been successful. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, Andy um, covered the Cobblers as uh, Northampton Chronicle during that period. So, you, Andy, you had a bit of a, a, a different take on things from, you know, from the press box. But I have some great memories for you too, Andy. Yeah, well, as I say, my time covering the Chronicle and Echo, I think... Um, virtually spanned all, all of Ian's time as, as manager of the club. So so for me, and as I've said before in the in the chat with, with Tomo, and um, it, it was a fantastic time for the club, really. But lots of happy memories, obviously some downs as well. But overall, a great time for the club. And um, Ian did, a, in my opinion, over those five years or so, a, a fantastic job in bringing Northampton Town back into the game, so to speak. I quite agree, and I've, I've I've been speaking to a couple of players pre Ian Atkins, and they, they would tell you how quite how how bad things were sort of in those days off the pitch, especially. And uh, as we as we talk today, we'll, we'll uh, get an idea of the renaissance of the football club. But as uh, first things first, um, as as I like to do with these sort of uh, podcasts, is Ian, you had a you had a career as a footballer before uh, before a manager, and um, we won't go on a, too much onto it because uh, we want to talk a lot about cobblers. But Ian, you uh, you picked up? Did you pick up two winners for uh, winners medals for Everton, first division title and European Cup winners cup? Is that right? Yeah, that was lucky. I mean, playing wise, uh, before that, I had a, a grounding which was then the old fourth division and third division, which is now the second and first at Shrewsbury. Right. Uh, 
made out of both. Um, so you had a bit of a feel for how to get out of those leagues as well. But then obviously my goals all the way through and I joined Sunderland from Shrewsbury and we were in the top seven of the first division, which is now the Premier League. Now I went to Everton, so under Howard Kendall, so I was fortunate enough there to, to win a, uh, a championship medal, the first division medal, Cup Winners' Cup medal and Charity Shield and went to the uh, FA Cup final with Everton as well. So, uh, I mean, I played under good managers um, and a lot of them had the same traits, believe it or not, like Howard Kendall, Alan Durban, uh, Bobby Ferguson, who was under Bobby Robson at Ipswich. So, um, had a good grounding, took a little bit of, of everything from them into coaching, to be fair, after playing. Was, was uh, managing something that you always thought about or is it something that, you know, as you got on in your career, you thought, what do I do next? Something I've always wanted to do. I mean, I was always basically... Even when I was at Sunderland, I used to come home every weekend back to Birmingham um, and take a and run a Sunday football team. So, like, you'd have a night out on the Saturday night and probably get in God knows what time, but uh, up up early and then, then go and take the lads of a Sunday morning. So, I, used, I always used to, to try and get involved with my friends as well. You know, I mean, friends that I grew up with. And uh, I used to run the Sunday football team when, uh, when I was at Sunderland. And when I went to Ipswich, I used to do a lot with the academy there. I used to go into the academy and and help them of a, of a Tuesday and Thursday night. Something that I wanted to do, I wasn't asked to do it. Um, but I always, I, I liked the coaching theory, and I always thought that I had a decent brain. My legs weren't very quick, but my brain had to get me out of trouble in a lot of instances. So I, I just enjoyed coaching, helping people as well. So I took all my badges, started with my badges, and fair since, uh, obviously, the managerial coaching career. I started culture and went to Birmingham. Like I've done my pro license, I've got every license you can ask. Probably more licenses than the television license, but there we go. <laughs> I always wondered uh, how you, what the link was to Northampton, because you you played a reserve game for Cobblers, so there was a, a link, you know, with, with the playing. But how did you, how did you get, how did you get the call to, you know, come for an interview for the job? Where, where was that link? I think it was Barry Stonnell. Just it spoke to me. I'd. Um, uh, and asked me down, and I just went down and spoke to the, the board. Then I remember Barry Hancock, David Kerr, um, and so Barry Stonnell and Martin Church, the Church brothers. And it was, it was the, on the trust, then Andy it was doing the the trust. Yeah, it would have been Brian Lomax and Barry Collins, I think. Barry Collins the... was running too fair. So yeah, yeah. They, they came down, asked me down, and asked my thoughts and whether I could. We'd take the job on to the end of the season initially and then we'll take it from there and um for me it was a big attraction because you wanted to stay in football i'd been i just had a little bit of a, a a turmoil period to be fair through sometimes no fault of your own do you know what i mean birmingham went bust i went to cambridge and uh and then i'd been down to sunderland and with terry butcher I was assistant with terry terry then got the sack and it's all happened very quickly for me do you know what i mean and it was it was just a bit unsettling. So the Northampton was as attractive was, and, and at the time as well, it's the position wasn't attractive. And I knew a lot of the history of the club with Kidderminster, with the the stadium as well. If they've had a proper stadium, Northampton may have gone down. And I think everybody knows the Shrewsbury Town tunnel down come back. And I knew what one or two people, Graham Carr from the area as well, Irving Gern, uh, Irving Gern, who played there, he was on loan at Northampton from Ipswich when I played with Irving. Um, and spoke to those as well. And the beauty at the time, I think, with Northampton, if you forget the, the league position, was a stadium. Yeah. Because obviously the stadium had been built. They'd gone away from the county ground, which I'd played at as well. Um, and, and the club were getting gates of five and a half, six thousand. And that was basically because of the new stadium, not the two. 
Yeah. Um, and looking back in that first season you came in, there were, I, I can imagine it was, you could you could see it was a bit of a project for yourself there because there were some some decent pros at the, the football club to sort of build around a little bit. Um, I think Ian, Ian Sampson was already there, wasn't he? Yeah. Um, yeah. I there was. I mean, it was obviously it was a difficult period for John Barmore when he took over because the move to the stadium. I think if Andy will remember it as well, is that I remember right? I mean, they'd moved into the new stadium, Northampton, but the council took something like twenty percent of the gate receipts when it was going up to about four thousand five hundred. Then it grew up to 25% when he went to 5,500. So money was tight, and and John had had to work time work the Oracle in getting players like Neil Grayson out the non-league and one or two others, and um, and probably was lucky enough to fall on people like Ray Warburton and Ian Sampson that to give him a little bit of a background, you know what I mean, and a little bit of solidness there. So um, it wasn't an easy job for John at the time, but watching the team initially when I first went. And I, I had seen a game prior to actually going over and taking over. Um, I, I just I knew the area straight away that if we were, had any chance of survival, the type of player that was needed and the positions that it was needed. And did you remember um, Cobblers? Well, you you know you were covering them, but do you, do you remember what sort of shape Cobblers were in when Ian took over and what he did is sort of a, to steady the ship, turn it around? Yeah, as Ian said, you know, the, the the finances of the club were 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 not great, to be perfectly honest. And and on the field, um, we had a quite a lightweight side that was struggling in the in the division. And sort of Ian coming in, really, something was needed, really, just to change things around. And and Ian came in, and and pretty much straight away in the first week or two, if I recall correctly brought in a couple of players that immediately strengthened the side. And there were a few blips along the way that first year, but gradually you could see see that that strength coming into the team and the results improving and the club going in the right direction. So, let's uh, so, so, say, there wasn't a lot of money around. So it was a difficult job, really, for who anyone was for anyone who was manager of the club at the time. I think it was one of them, Andy, as well. Is it the, obviously, it was a difficult period with it the directors as well because obviously got a new stadium and didn't mm. want to be bottom of the league and, and people always thought myself as being a bit single-minded a bit stubborn whatever but I, I felt I was at that period of time that suited me because someone had to do it and be their own man and, and this is how I want to do it this is how I think we can get out of trouble this is the type of player that we'll need now and obviously for the way future especially with the finances that we've got to play with. We haven't got fortunes. And and straight away, I we, said, we, we were very lightweight and there was one or two little decent players, but probably not what the club needed at that time. Maybe in two years' time, if they would have stayed with me. But straight away, you, you identified, obviously, we, we had Ian Sampson right at the back and uh, they were a decent two, but I always felt straight away that they'd be better in a three and Ray might be better in a three. But we had to stick to a the, four, the flat back four, but people ask me about my best signing, and and to me, my best signing was Gary Thompson. Um, yeah, right before, and why I take Gary Thompson is is that we at the time I think we had Neil Grayson who'd done great coming out of non-league, John and bought in and Martin Aldridge, yeah. but Gary Thompson give us presence, and I always yeah. felt in the lower leagues as well, especially in the second division, that you've got to be good in both boxes, and that means in the air because you've got to defend one in well with set pieces and you've got to attack the other one um, and people will sling the ball in the box as well especially when you're defending 
but the other end, we didn't really have any presence, and I think Gary coming in and give us where he'd played at Coventry, we'd play West Brom the highest level as well, Aston Villa. He gave us a bit of presence, and he gave. Yeah, well, I spoke to I spoke to Tomo and uh, yeah. in the previous podcast, and looking back on it, I never realised uh, what a, a, a rich and varied career he had, and he played with not only with some oh. it's a really good teams. He was he was playing with people like Cyril Regis, West Brom. Uh, Villa is very highly regarded. He scored a couple in the derby against Blues. Uh, he he came in not just with a physical presence, but with that experience um, of playing in ver- various leagues, you know, various different levels with really good players. And he and he really did uh, provide a bit of steel up front and yeah, a bit of composure. I knew, yeah, I knew he was never going to be a long-term version, but I did say to him at the time, if he if he can come in, then I'll give him a coaching job as well. You know what I mean? With the with the reserves, and if you can, if he gets a few games out of him the following year, great. Um, but his main job then would be to help the younger ones in the reserves, playing the reserves, uh, yeah. which I, again, to build a football club, to have someone like Gary Thompson, even at 35, playing in someone's reserves with the kids, he, he were a buff on them, you know what I mean? If he's putting his body on the line at 35, so can the youngsters at 17 and 18, do you know what I mean? And you, when you're playing at 35, your body creaks afterwards, don't worry about that. And then you've got to go and coach. So I think Gary was a massive one as well, and Chris Burns coming in as well. Um, give us a bit of presence in midfield, a bit of height as well. And Nicky Smith, who we took in, um, I think it was from maybe from Southampton or my Colchester, one of them. I can't remember where he came from. I'd had him before. Give, played at left back. I knew what he was about. Great left foot. But then as we went on, um, we started to get one or two results around the leg. I think sometimes results define what you do, and the defining yeah. one for me and probably the football club for the next three or four years. Was getting beat by Berry five nil, and you'll probably remember that at home. <laughs> yes, and yeah. Billy Stewart was in goal, and and Billy was a great kid, and I've never, you know, I mean, he had a really good career, but I can just remember Billy now. I think about the fifth goal went in, like he's lying <laughs> with his head on the floor and hands on top of his head, and he'd made yeah. a few mistakes, and I thought it's got to be changed. So, um, look, as he, I, I, I just, I, we worked so hard at that at that time at the club, or. Even in the 90s, you didn't have like a recruitment team or just whatever. There was me, um, and maybe Gary will go out, Dennis the physio, um, Mike McDonald, who was only doing a bit of part-time work, and that was it. So uh, basically, my day as well, not only coaching, I used to go out Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday afternoon, Wednesday night, and then Thursday, Friday, then you'd tone off and prepare for the game. And that's how you became, I did it at Birmingham prior to that and into my coaching career. Um, going into to watch all the non-league games locally, whether it be Nuneaton, whether it be Worcester City, Kidderminster, doing yeah. the games all round. And that's how you knew the players and that's how you could pull on the players. Um, and that was basically doing your homework. I think that was a, that's a benefit of Northampton's geography is that we are, we're only an hour or so from and Birmingham, we're only an hour or so from London. We can actually draw upon talent from these various areas. And obviously the Birmingham connection was really strong at Northampton by itself, Ian. But um Tomo was telling me about um, other players that came in from, you know, the Midlands area, like David Norton. I think he was a, yeah. a Villa player in his day. Uh, I think Ian Brown, you, I don't know if you brought him in. He played for Blues at some point. No, I didn't uh, have it, to be fair. Dave Norton was there when I actually joined the club. Uh, yeah. Again, David was a nice, neat player. But again, when, you come, when I, I came into Northampton, um, some people in two years' time, once I've been in there, May have still been in the club, but it was a certain period where the main thing is we had to survive. Because yeah. if we would have gone down, 
would we have survived? I don't know. Andy may tell you more on that, even on the financial side, because it was that close. And I say that that first six months of of um, yeah. of staying up, especially we did it. I think with going to Barnes and, and winning three two, and that again yeah. was. About four days before, we went to Berry and got beat 5-0 again, by the way. I remember right, Andy. <laughs> Berry done twice 5-0 in that, that little period. They did. So, yeah, and they not only did we, 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 we you get, I get results to keep in the league, but it also told me a lot about the players that I could stay with me or with the club to take mm. us a little bit further next year and then see where we can go. I mean, if, I, if I'm brutally honest... I, I could never have envisaged three years later being at Wembley twice, 60 minutes away from the Championship. I mean, that time, because oh. it, it just didn't warrant that. We was just one of sheer survival and let's stay up and then where we can go. And again, yeah. uh, the, the basic of the players that I always thought, especially in the lower leagues, was they've got to have a good character and you've got to be a good mixer and you've got to have a good dressing room. And it's about that, that feeling together and the commitment as much as sometimes the ability that he had because it's always a big strong league. He's gone off it a little bit now because the type of player that was around in the 90s in the lower leagues, people aren't developing anymore in the academies. But then, if you didn't actually stand up and be counted, you could fall easily by the wayside. And it was simple yeah. as that. And we, we built that mentality into the into the team and into the club because we've got to bear in mind he's been he's had a, a, a like a losing mentality for how long and yeah, one of despair, really, because it's nearly, we've nearly gone out of football league twice. Just briefly going back to what Ian said about the club, you, you know, that um, we, the administration in 92 and then escaping at Shrewsbury on the last day to stay in the football league and then finishing bottom in 94 and only staying in the league because Kidderminster's ground wasn't good enough. Um, I think if we'd have finished or gone out of the league in 95, I think we'd have really struggled to get back in and as I say testament to Ian and the strength of character that he introduced with the players that came in um, that we stayed in there and, and fought and and the following season as you say from 17th it was a progression up to 12th or 11th in the in the division and then the following year of course like a fairy tale ended up at Wembley. Yeah I think we got that big I think we, again it was like the, the, the second year was always going to be a building one I remember finished 11th and we had some good results along the way um, especially right at the end of the season where I remember going to Preston, Andy, if you remember, and yes. they, <laughs> the, uh, the, the, they opened the new stand, I think it was. I can't remember. It was yeah. the old England player. Tom they, Finney, wasn't it? The Tom, Tom Finney stand. Tom Finney stand yeah. And they opened it and Gary Peters was manager. And they just, <laughs> well, he knew that we wouldn't just turn up, but we went there and we set our stall out. We made it very difficult for them, basically sucked them in and beat them 3-0. And they yeah. couldn't leave it the quiet... And then I think Gillingham as well, the week after, they were going to go up. And you just got a feeling then after getting those two results at the end and when any really anybody could have packed in, uh, mm. but we didn't. And the intensity that I always work with and um, in, in terms of just my life in general, you know, I mean, it was an intense one, the players, the coaching. Uh, and I, we just kept it going. We never took the foot off the gas. But the, the, the big one was, it was the last game we'd... Um, it was Wigan, you remember, right? And we had to go there, and or well, Wigan had to get yeah. a result to win. Well, everybody was yes. been, everybody had been ringing me up before the game because John Dean was the, the Wigan manager, and yeah. John Dean, I went to school with. I played at the Birmingham schoolboys with him, and played at Ipswich with him in the end. He was a big friend, and everybody's ringing me up and going, foregone conclusion that one, like you know what I mean, for, for, like, <laughs> for, for Wigan. 
And I'm thinking, I don't think you realise what I'm about. You know what I mean? <laughs> so anyway, and all remember as well, because we were going to give Ali Gibb out. We signed Ali Gibb, who I thought was fantastic, yep. although came into the club. Unfortunately for him, where we were doing so well, and he's probably a bit like Mickey Warner. They were good players. And in any other track, you would have put them in. So anyway, I remember we were going to play Ali Gibb, and then suddenly, if we would have played Ali, we would have had to give Norwich five grand. Yeah, <laughs> for his, he would have reached ten games. So I couldn't play Ali Gibb. And anyway, we went to Wigan and um, uh, put Jason White on in the second half, and uh, I think Jason might score. We won two one, and John yeah. did spoke to me for about six months. By the way, honestly, <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't believe it. And I'm thinking, we're not we're not a million miles away. You know, we've, we've got the Preston, and we've I've had to set the stall out. And I said before, we had to play organised and play to our strengths and. Uh, and we did, and we started to get better in both boxes as well, and we did play a bit of football, uh, but we're just now beginning to get a bit of momentum going with a little changing the culture a little bit from one of like losing acceptancy. The people yeah. now are a football club, and oh, we can feel something happening here, and not only that, the spirit was building at the same time with people like Woodman, Woburn, mm. Samson, Gary Thompson was still there, do you know what I mean? And then we Tomo being... was called, Tomo calls it uh, in Birmingham in the Birmingham sort of you know speak. He says you stand on. He he wanted to the the, the players to stand on and you did and he he said that I mean you stand up for yourself. You're not and you don't you don't we accept to speak. He said before you you can guide them, but you want them to be their own men. I trusted them totally. I mean yeah. the, the spirit of the team was so good. They used to go and have a drink. It was a culture then. It wasn't. They used to go mad. They, yeah. they knew I'd, I, I got no problem with them because I knew yeah. if, one, if one in that dressing room was out of order, the others would knock him down. But it was sometimes a little real that we had so many strong characters. And sometimes when you get so many strong characters, they fight against each other because one wants to be one top dog and wants to be better than the other one. Or I want to be the get eight out of 10 every week or 10 out of 10. We didn't have that. It was like, it was, it was yeah. brilliant. Razor and Sammy and say Warburton and and then the two that we brought in really as well that sometimes don't get the mention is people like Roy Hunter and Sean Parrish. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they were fantastic. I mean, Roy Hunter came into the football club. He came in on £100 a week for about the first six months, part-time. That's all he was. And we give him expenses. And what he gave... He how, did you hear, how did you hear about Roy Hunter, Ian? Because he I'd was at West Brom, him, wasn't I'd he? I'd seen him at West Bromwich. Again, I'd seen him at West Brom Reserves and going about as well, doing my homework before I come to Northampton. And so you knew these players and we, we brought Roy in, but we just couldn't actually give him a contract at the time. So sure. maybe less than six months, it might, it might be me going a bit ahead of my, maybe between three and six months, but we were giving him expenses and he turned up every day, never whinged, got on. His attitude was absolutely fantastic. And probably out of all the players we signed, he was the unluckiest one not to go and play in the Premier League because as he went on and he got himself a reputation, him and Parrish, to be fair, in midfield. Um, yeah. I mean, Wimbledon were down at six fields every week. Mm-hmm. Mick Arthur had been ringing him and Terry Burton. And they they were willing, or would have paid out then between 750 and a million pound, which was mm-hmm. a lot of money. Well, we could not have turned that down. You wouldn't have stand in, in Roy's way. And I can still see the, 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 the game now, Wigan at Wigan. And he mm-hmm. just put on someone's top of someone's foot. And got he, he's Roy Studs caught in the laces of the Wigan player who moved away, did his cruciate. Oh, it was cruel. Cool. Mm. You know what I mean? But he, don't, he never moaned. He just 
come back, got on with him, and in future I took him to Oxford as well. Do you know what I mean? But he was so a, he before was, before his uh, cruciate, he was on the verge, probably on the verge of quite a big move somewhere. Oh, definitely yeah. Wimbledon. Yeah. I'm, I'm saying no, there's a lot of people looking at him, but at Wimbledon, but again, it was it was Sean Parrish made Roy Hunter as well, and Roy Hunter made Sean Parrish. They both played with terrific energy, great lads. Yeah. They could get up and down. They could break the game up. They could go and win the game for you and then give it to someone else. Sean left-footed, Roy other. And what happened to Sean then, just, just after Roy Hunter, was cruel as well when suddenly, like, we tackled against Gillingham we played. Someone tackled him and he, he broke his tibia and fibula at the bottom of his ankle. So, I mean, as we went on, basically, we, we, let, we lost our driving force but still continued to be successful, which is a testament then to the, to the squad. Mm. Sure, exactly. Where where did you uh, where did you pick up? Uh, I know I know um, Sean Parrish was is it was he a Shrewsbury sort of guy around that area? Where did you pick him yeah, up? Yeah, he was. He was he was at um, Shrewsbury as a kid, and then he went to um, Telford, basically. Yeah. And what I with Telford is I had a, a Doncaster that asked me after I'd left Sunderland, went in that little turbulent spell for me as a coach, and I just helped them out and took them over to the end of the season, and I told them to go and sign Sean, and they signed. They did Doncaster. So I'd left Doncaster. But prior to that, I'd lined it all up. So Sean then went to Doncaster um, and did well for Doncaster. Then I took him from Doncaster to, to Northampton. So I knew a lot about him as well. Um, and he's, as I say, his, his character, his honesty. By the way, terrific lad in the dressing room, daft as a drug, blackguard, as people say. He was terrific, mate. And it's, again, suddenly then, the team was starting to take a little bit of shape. Exactly, Andy. I'll bring you in here. Um, so uh, 95, 96, not a, not a bad season. Eleventh, uh, about five points off the playoffs, and then 96, 97. Ian's bringing together a good side. Um, obviously, Wembley bound. But did you realise that at the time? What did you think going into that that season, Andy? Well, at the end of the previous season, those, as I say, those wins at Preston and Wigan certainly suggested there was something something good afoot, really. And I think there were some, some shrewd further signings coming in to start the 96-7 season. Um, and, yeah, that was, that was just a good season, full of strong characters and a good, gentle build-up to, to Wembley. I think a, a, a run near the end of the season, an unbeaten run, which took us into the, um, into the playoffs and, and obviously victory over, over Swansea. But certainly characterised, if you look at that side now and the, and the strength of character within the individuals um, who, were, who were there, um, that was a fantastic side that never knew it was beaten. And, and, and so it proved. Exactly, uh, Andy. I'll point to a couple of, uh, a, a trio of signings. Mark Cooper came in, who was, you know, a solid forward. Ian Clarkson, uh, with a really good schooling in Birmingham football. And David Rennie, uh, there, there were three solid signings for you, weren't they, uh, Ian? They were, and again, I'd, I'd known, obviously, Ian was an apprentice at Birmingham and I'd been at Birmingham, and I couldn't believe my luck. Ian Clarkson rang me. He'd been playing for Stoke City in the division above or even in the division above that. Um, yeah. I can't wait what happened at Stoke. He rang me, would you be interested? I, could, well, I remember speaking to Barry Stoll, I'm saying Barry, like, you know what I mean? And it wasn't as though we had to break the bank for Ian Clarkson financially. I just couldn't believe my luck. So, But again, he was, he was a strong character. He knew what he was about. He was a tough lad as well, and he could play in a four, he could play in a, a five. Dave Rennie had had a, a, a decent ground in as well at Coventry, Leicester, 
read the game well with a different type to Ian and 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 raise it. I think well you can that's yeah now we're t- starting to take shape here as a three at the back as well. And Coop should give us that presence when Gary had obviously um, dropped off a little bit and started to substitute, play the odd game, but basically took the reserves. Um, and then we brought Coops in from Barnet, who'd seen it and done it as well. So uh, we started to get a bit of presence up front and a little bit more quality at the back as well with Rennie. And, and someone like Ian Clarkson, I knew, and, and that's when we suddenly changed, we changed that system that year to a, to a five as well. Do you know what I mean? So... It suited everybody, but the season didn't really go, Andy, if you can remember, it didn't go to plan right away. No. I mean, we had a few good results at the beginning, and then I always remember going to Cardiff. Um, we have beaten the playoff semis in the end, and we were losing 2-1, and we'd had a little run when we had yeah. one for about games, and we got to injury time, and I remember the crowd starting to have a little bit of a pop, to be fair, which is, I mean, part of crowds. And then I think <laughs> Ryan, Ryan scored in injury time and got us out of jail, and then Suddenly, yeah. we, we just picked up a few decent results again. And then Exeter, we had a bit of a wobble. Then we went to Exeter and, and Chris Lee scored. Came on and scored his uh, sub and we won 1-0. And yeah. then just picked that little bit of momentum up um, going in towards Christmas. And I'd signed Phil Stance on loan, if I remember right, as well. Ah, yeah. yeah. Former Army guy, yeah. Yeah, and Stance had a, another terrific lad. Tough as old boots, by the way. Wasn't the best of player, but put himself about. He was really a like um, a, be- a good non-league player. But I remember we played Hull just before Christmas and we won 2-1. And that put us on the, the edge of the playoffs. And mm. I could just feel something building. And over that Christmas, I remember, Andy, it was mm. full of snow. Everywhere was snow. And we played yeah, hard. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes. I think it was New Year's Day. And honestly, there about... Two foot of snow on the pitch. Anyway, all the supporters came down, cleared the snow. I was on the pitch as well before the game. I was desperate to get the game on because I knew Cardiff yep. wouldn't these conditions. Um, and we beat them 4 0. Yeah. I yeah. remember Andy, and I always again, I remember going back, I always remember snow all around the pitch. Yeah. Uh, yes, Grayson, I, know what, I know what you're going to say. Yeah, Neil Grayson <laughs> died in the snow. And someone had left a shovel in the snow. <laughs> <laughs> and he's, he's jumped in the snow and smashed his head on the snow, cut his head on the top. That was my overriding thing, apart from winning 4 0 at Cardiff City. I can't remember the goal. I can remember that. I remember that game. And I think the uh, it was quite indicative of the community spirit around the football club. So the fans did yeah. come down and clear the yeah. pitch. Um, yeah. There was something building there. It was an ident- identity. And this is something we talked about as this on sort of. Oh, recently identity around the football club that was that was growing don't you think Andy? I think, I think yes uh, we talk yeah. about identities with teams as well is again it, what I like and I, I, I try to get on well with everyone I speak to everybody the staff and everybody I, 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 but I was mindful also of the people who'd been to the county ground with the buckets yeah when they, they were short of cash and you had all those people that come from the county ground still doing the turnstile for nothing Still doing yeah. the car parks for nothing. And these are the people, basically, who are Northampton Town Football Club. Not me. It's for these people. And we included everybody of them, I think with Janice in the, in the, in the, um, in the club shop. Yeah. Everybody, do you know what I mean? There was no side. And, I mean, some, some days with Nick and Gareth in the office and all the girls, we'd go straight over to Friday's over the road and we'd have like, someone to eat and a drink afterwards. And it was yeah. like was like a like a, a tiny community 
Northampton Football Club that felt like a football club again. And for me, that gave me a lot of pleasure. As much as exactly. yourself. That's that's what I that's what I really remember about that time was the fact that everyone pulled together, everyone oh. was in together. You know, it was a real team effort from the, the players, the staff, the board, the, the fans. You know, every, everyone was just pulling in the right direction and, and, and Wembley was just a, a fantastic bonus at the end of it all. Exactly. Yeah. Tom, Tomo told me uh, a couple of stories. He, he apparently he used to get told off of, uh, training on the pitch sometimes, Ian. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> little Inchai, the one with the moustache. I can't remember his name, but he looked like a little Inchai. <laughs> he was, we used to call him. <laughs> and, uh, I, I wanted to talk about a couple of uh, players that are you know, probably not talked about too much in that team. Uh, one of them is Matthew Rushian. Uh, yeah. I thought he was a hell of a player. He was, again, because I did my homework and I, I knew Matthew from um, West Ham. You know, yeah. from United. Um, and then I'd, I'd gone from Birmingham, who'd gone bust, and I'd gone to Cambridge, um, which was a difficult one after John Beck. And I took Matthew on loan from West Ham and he'd done okay. And he, he'd done so well that then Norwich bought him, I think, and obviously changed over his managers. And again, I couldn't believe enough when I got Matthew Rush, to be fair, to be part of the squad. And I think one of Matthew's first games may have been against Chester at home when we won 5-1. And, they're in yeah. The top, yeah. and that was after the Cardiff one. And then afterwards, we played Hartlepool. Matthew was a very, very good player. Um, yeah. I think the, the uh, Norwich sold and told them who were then maybe in the top flight or maybe in the championship, I'm not sure. But yeah. he was down to Rush. He's another one, Matthew, who got all the ability under the sun. You needed to push him. You needed to motivate him and use different techniques. But boy, could he play. And if it was his day, yeah. you know, he caused anybody problems. And to get him when we did at the, at the time uh, in the second division was like a massive coup for us, basically, I thought. Because he was a good player, but we only had him for a short period of time. An away game at Doncaster, I think it was. A night game at Doncaster where he, he took Doncaster apart all night. I think... Yeah. I, th- I think we won the game 2-1, but it could easily have been 5-6. Yeah, I do remember it now, yeah. Yeah, yeah he was a, were, he was a uh, great player. Uh, Ian, were wingers sort of players you kept an eye out for? Because obviously Ali Gibb was there as well. He was a, you know, a really good winger on his day. Were you looking for people who, you know, get up the pitch and put balls it, in and, you know? It was a strange because obviously the system we played, we played the three with the wing-backs pushing on and sometimes we played with the three in midfield. And to be fair... It, it was then basically Hunter and Parrish. But I always used to look yep. at the wingers. If we played with two up front, we'd have maybe have one on the left or one on the right. So if we played with one on the right, we wouldn't play. Obviously, the left back then was with Franey. It had the freedom to go up and down. Now, if we swapped them over to the other side, the left, then Ian Clarkson had the freedom to go up and down. Do you know what I mean? That kind of thing. And we were quite yep. flexible. I mean, we couldn't play one up there and two off. We, I mean, which we did. And... Um, it was just like a flexibility thing for us. I mean, wingers, we liked Ali Gibb, to be fair. I mean, I, I bought Lee Madison in from uh, from Bristol Rovers. And I remember going to see Lee Madison when we needed a left back. And Lee was good. He was fine. But then he got injured. And that's why I had to bring Frayne in, really. And the rest is history. Um, but th- that day, Bristol Rovers were playing Norwich. And Ali Gibb was playing against Lee Madison. And he gave Maddie oh, a really hard time. And, oh, he took me back. Ali did, you know what I mean? And I thought, well... That's going to be Ali will be potential now. I think Ali could play as a wing back if we needed as well. Yeah. Um, but I said I think people like Ali, Mickey Warner, who was a good player as well, by the way, we took out a non-league from Redditch. They would just people say, well, why didn't you play them? Well, 
but I can only play 11 and we're winning every week. <laughs> Where do you want me to put them? You know what I mean? And like, <laughs> you, 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 the, everything was working so well and you, you could only play them when there was a little slot for them or you'd put them on the bench and then bring them on where, if the time was needed. But they were still young and Ali was young as well. And uh, Ali was a good player. The, the thing with Ali was, I, Ali was so quick. And I thought Ali had just lost a slight bit of pace. We played him in a reserve game at Barnett's at Sixfields. And he had an airline fracture in his toe at the game and he put him out for a while. And that's a, that's a nasty injury on the outside of your, like your right toe. And I, I'd never felt Ali got into the speed he was before he had his toe injury. And it does, it can affect people. Yeah, the other person uh, I wanted to talk about was Jason White, who was a fan's favourite with the Northampton fans. Yeah. And uh, Ian, just to say, what, talk a bit about what he was like as a player and as a character, really. Well, he was. I mean, Jason's been at Scarborough. And I remember, uh, I think my first game was Gillingham. Um, we won 2-0 on the week after we played Scarborough at home. And that brought the home truce about how you've got to change the time. We got done 3-0. Um, if I remember right, Jason played. But I knew a little bit about him anyway. You knew he was quick. You knew he wanted to go over the top as well. Uh, and that hurt teams. And the way that we played at times, we sit down a little bit deep, we'll counter-attack and hit people, especially away from home. That, that suited us and probably going back as well I think the directors have got to take Barry Stoll and his directors have got to take a bit of credit on that one because I don't think the money had come through the club I think they actually put their hands in the pockets I might be wrong on that Andy but you could tell them I'm sure the directors really had a little dip in and bought, uh, bought Jason White for the club you know what I mean which um, yes. which I, I think was right um, which was fair play to them but Jason again he was he's a, he's a good lad and he, he was a good mixer um, and he got pace. He wasn't the best at times holding the ball up, but he's back to goal. Put the ball in between people, and then he was a big threat. Sometimes in front of the goal, he'd be hit and miss. And to be fair, when we would go, when we, we were on our charge at the Wembley, the semi-finals in Wembley, um, he was on the bench. I had a big decision because Jason had had got a little nip in his cartilage, um, which had hampered him a little bit. And, do I play him in the final? Do I not? If I play him, if I start with him, will he rip his cartilage totally? What should we do? And I'd had a good chat with him. And that's why really we decided to put him on the bench and say, look, if we need you, we'll bring you on. If not, and he he was fine because he he, he had the operation to, to repair his cartilage after the final, uh, after the playoff Is final. it true that uh, Jason White was uh, an asthmatic? Is that right? Yes, yes he, he was. Right. He was right now, yeah, Jason was. And at certain times... Um, Dennis would have his um, what do they call him? They put him on the mask on the face, don't they? In Ayler. So yeah, Jason was. Jason was a where he'd have his days. Jason, where we just have to say, you know, I mean, don't do anything for a couple of days in training. And you knew again, I trusted him. Wasn't the case. Yeah. A couple of days off, I can have him. I just had full trust in them because I knew the kind of character they were. Otherwise, I wouldn't be in the football club. Um, yeah, he was asthmatic. Jason, Jason White. Jason White scored, uh, uh, I think, during that season we're talking about to, towards we ended up at Wembley. Uh, Jason scored at Fulham, I think, and we, we won 1-0. And I've got uh, a couple of pictures up in front of me and it looked like John Gale and Jason White were leading the line that day. Do you remember that, guys? Yeah, I mean, yeah, what definitely. What I remember yeah. about that as well, I remember Andrew remembers this, is yeah. Fulham had just beat Mansfield on the Tuesday. Uh, I got what score it was. Anyway, so they'd got automatic promotion. And we were going into that end of the season and I'd been one of them the last, I generally do it during the season, but more so at the end. Is a, we've gotten 
I'd say eight games in the last two months of the season. We'll go for eight points each month. Where we're going to pick them up from? And Fulham wasn't particularly one that you thought you were going to get from. Um, so anyway, we'd gone there. They got promoted. I knew Mickey Ann. And I'd gone in to see the referee as because we had to set the team sheets in. They'd come and whatever. And Mickey had gone out. I just said to the referee, would you mind if... You know what I, mean? I said, they've got promotion. We'll go the halfway line. Rather than come out together, we'll go out first and clap them out. He went, oh, what a wonderful gesture. Fantastic. But no problem. So I said to that's right, we'll get the halfway line here. But as soon as they come out and you've clapped them, we run to the Fulham end. So by running to the Fulham end, you'll kill the crowd. And if you remember, I yeah. did. Yeah. Crowd. And I remember Mickey Adams, like afterwards, he kept nodding his head at me. He knew what had happened. And he looked at me on the on the touchline of things, you, you bugger like, you know what I mean? So anyway, we, I remember going, we killed the crowd. We turned them round so they, they couldn't go the favourite way in the second half. And then we worked a free kick, and we had a free kick on the right-hand side of the penalty area. Um, worked it well, and Jason scored. And Mickey had got that, that much. It, to be fair, he, he took, I think he took three players off in about the first yeah. 30 that's the thing that stuck with me from that game, Ian. Yeah, I think Jason scored quite early and they didn't really know what it hit them, had they? And then Mickey Adams, I think, made all three subs. And you know, the, about the, best, the best of it was, he might be missing his hand, one of them was Terry Angus. <laughs> no, <laughs> uh, it would be, wouldn't it? It would be. Because every time Terry Angus had to see me, he goes, you nice man, Mr. Atkins. I'm thinking, yeah, all right. one was Terry Angus. Terry Angus had a had a really good career to Fulham and, and to Cobblers, really. He was a really like really good defender. Um, right, lad. That that we did quite well against Fulham in those days. I, I remember yeah. we never really like we always we always held held our own against Fulham, Andy. Do you, do you remember? Yeah, I mean Fulham. We played them quite a bit in in Ian's um, certainly the early years, and um, I always enjoyed going to Craven Cottage because I thought it was a fantastic ground, and we had a pretty good record against Fulham. There was a a great four-all draw on a yeah. Tuesday night. I think Martin Aldridge scored a couple. Um, and say that one nil we've just talked about. And then, of course, later on in the following season, I'm sure we'll get to talk about that in a minute, um, a couple more great games against Fulham. I'm the same. You know, leading certain teams, obviously being, especially playing or managing or coaching, wherever it may be, you always do well against. It's like I'd, I'd never lost against Port Vale, whether it be in the middle and intermediate, whatever. And I don't, I'd never lost against Fulham. Ever lost yeah. against. And you know, some of it's lucky side. Now, the, you place I'd like Wrexham or something. I've never beaten Wrexham. Grim, Grimsby was always a strange one for me. And I was like, you know what I mean? Especially in the fight. We never really beat Grimsby when I was, you know, just, just as it goes. But Fulham always had a terrific record against Fulham. And yeah. Fulham changed, started changing as a football club in those <laughs> periods, didn't it? When, uh, you know, um, Alfayed took over and they went from. I remember the old Fulham away end. There was an open away end, probably in that game we're talking about where Jason White scored. And, you know, within probably 10, 15 years, the club had been transformed. But like Ian said, uh, even when they had a bit of money, we still held our own against them. So, yeah, yeah definitely. Um, moving on to, obviously, the that season started reaching a crescendo. We were moving on. There was a, it was a bit like a snowball rolling. And I always remember the Cardiff uh, playoff semi-final at Ninian Park which was a grand old ground uh, Andy were you were you writing about yeah that yeah it was a su- Sunday morning wasn't it you know I think we went down in the car in the morning and ducked our heads as we went across motorway bridges just in case someone was going to throw some off them because they had a bit of a reputation at the time the Cardiff fans but um yeah. a- again um 
yeah, it was it was a, it was a great occasion. I think we had Mark Cooper sent off, which put us down to yeah. ten men, and and yet we won the game with a with a Sean Parrish wonder goal. How did you approach that game, Ian? Like in terms of the tactics, the, the you know the first leg up at Ninian Park. No different from what we we'd always do because we, again we, we you, you wanted to try and get a good result if you could. A draw would have been a decent result going back in, but to win it was above our expectation, especially being with ten men for a long a long time as well. But basically no different, and let teams come on, let them burn themselves out as such, and. Let's make sure we defend one box well, especially from set pieces, and we'll tap the other one. Um, and it was no different, and we were quite relaxed going into the game, and the build-up to it as well had been good. I think the lads and Ian Sampson, we'd had a record made, and we did we did a bit of training on the pitch then. And I remember people like Alan McAnally coming down, and he was then just starting to be on Sky, and he coming to join in with his five side, and he'd got his Bayern Munich kit on, you know what I mean? So there's a lot of banter going around as well at the and which was good because it keeps you relaxed but also the lads knew when to switch off and be focused and they were focused in that game and I remember Mark getting sent off and you think you know I mean, we'll take something out of this but I don't remember us being any real trouble and Parry broke through and um, he swears he's hit it properly but oh, he's, by the way that's come off his shin and I've always got to keep and it's looped over the keeper and to, to go there and win 1-0 was probably before the game, not beyond our dreams, but with 10 men, you'd think, oh, that, that is some result. Um, now we've just got to be focused and level-headed for the second second leg. It was, um, I, I, don't, I don't care if it came off his shin or whatever, <laughs> as a Cobblers fan, in that away end, and it was ra- I'm sure it was raining, it was a drizzle day. Yeah. It wasn't yeah. a nice day, and it was a tense, I remember it would be intense, because like you say, Andy, the Cardiff fans were pretty partisan and we, we were there in oh. their on their manner and stuff and yeah and, yeah. and when and when he hit that that ball it's one of those moments when Parrish hit that ball it's like it just seemed to stay in the air for ages uh, ages yeah. and it, it went it's in like, and, so and the whole away end just erupted just, and I twisted went. my ankle actually on that bloody terrace at Cardiff <laughs> fell forward twisted my ankle but it was the best injury I ever got because it was just uh, brilliant and Sean Parrish is still dining out on it now I think he is he is it's one of those goals you can watch again and again and there's a YouTube video of it kicking around and fantastic and as I say the crowd scenes when that went in brilliant yeah so, Ian, what was your what was your uh, for the second leg how did you was it just like you said you just did things as you normally would or was it because you had a lead did you have to try and tinker with it a little bit for the second no, leg no not all we just said we, the thing with the side of the, that came on we can say this we didn't do this we didn't do that um, the money always dictates the, dictates the players that you bring in and then you mould the best you can and, and that's all I ever did, uh, get the best, the money that I was available. But the players you knew were so well drilled and we used to work so hard on the training pitch individually and collectively um, that you, you could, you, we weren't the kind of team that could go and change and maybe the front three could or the front two. But the rest of it really was, you know I mean, as it was. And we, it is probably fair to say we were, when we, if we went down, and we had to try and chase the game. That wasn't really for us. We were more of let's be in control of the game and getting maybe into the last 20 minutes and grind teams down, and then someone will win it then. Or if we get 1-0 up, someone might give them. If they want, people want to come on to us, then we'll go and hit them again. And, and that's the kind of team we were. So probably being 1-0 up, second leg, we knew Cardiff have got to come out, play as it was. The crowd played their big part as well. They were fantastic on the night. 
I remember Cardiff having a man sent off as well quite early. Then they equalised, um, but we held our nerve and got back into the 3-1 lead and 4-2 the goal would score at Cardiff and they, they got a goal near the end. But um, it was just a fantastic day and a fantastic night. And, and again, that was for everybody. That was for again, the, the people who did the turnstiles, the car parks and... I mean, when every, people come up to me and say, well, it's the best day of my life in Northampton. It's nice. It means something because it shows all the, the dedication I put into the to rebuilding uh, Northampton as well and the intensity that I work, which was 24-7, the players and the staff and everybody. Um, we got a reward and the fitting one was, obviously, because it was 100 years. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, we have to remember that Sixfields was a, a bit of a fortress at that time. Yeah. Um, Sixfields now has got a little bit of a reputation for being a, being a bit sedate, but it really wasn't in those days. It really wasn't a tough place to come, especially with the, the way the team was set up and the way the fans were just, just in, the, in your face. And I don't think Cardiff that night, they, they're a big club with a big, rich history. That they didn't, I don't think they really is what hit them after the time. I don't think they expected it. I don't think they did. So we, we played intensely. What we started to build then as well, by the way, we had, I mean, the psychology of the, the team as well. I mean, anyway, we... We, on, on that time as well, it was like Bill Bezik was becoming a big thing with Steve McLaren, May Nighthead. We were doing exactly the same thing as all night at Northampton and people like Clarkie and maybe Tom Hotel. We were like innovators for the lower league. I mean, we had a, a last called Janet Knowles, who was a, the, like a psychologist with the NLP. I started to, um, to read a lot of the NLP stuff, psychology, body language. And, and that became a big part because we were doing one-to-ones with players. We were doing team building with players. We'd have storyboards all around the ground. I think there's a, there's a, a picture of when we got to we won the second leg against Bristol Rovers where all the players are there and myself. And you can see the storyboards around the Wembley, the Wembley pitches and everything. Yeah. Basically, get keeping the lads focused. And we used to have storyboards. And to be fair, Janet used to come in every Sunday, change the storyboards for the players. And he built their belief as well. And she used to do one-to-ones with them. Then I used to do one-to-ones as much as collective. And we were not innovators of that time. But no one ever knew, do you know what I mean? Because it really wasn't wasn't the in thing. But it was for Bill Bezik and Man United, do you know what I mean? So <laughs> we can take a little bit of pride out of that as well. That we, uh, we, we started to do the things then. But now you've probably got about eight sports scientists and five psychologists <laughs> and three players. <laughs> yes. Tomo, uh, Tomo was quite quite uh, sort of uh, hot on that. He he said that throughout his career, Tomo was known as a in-your-face sort of player, and he, he often had times had to um, hold him back. And he said that Cyril Regis actually used to say to him that it's all very well having the power and everything, but you've got to take. He used to say like, keep it cool, keep it cool. And Tomo said that later in his career, he was trying to do help that with the younger players and stuff just you can you can have the intensity but like you say have, have a coolness and a calmness to deliver it no it, it was we, we tomo as well just quickly with tom going back to time ages um I, when people say all oh, 35 will you want to come and do it in the third division like you know what i mean he did of course but all, i played against Barry tom when i was at sunland news at coventry and we always used to say let tomo have the ball because he has the ball it's no problem but if someone started to hit him you've got a game on now suddenly in the third in the second division, people find <laughs> the centre half. They don't know what they they'll hit the back of his head, they'll do everything they you know, and that kind of thing. And you knew that Tomo would always be up for it, probably more so than what he was when he was playing in a higher division where people hit him but sometimes left him alone. Um, but we had all these traits and one one thing we would go back to as well is that 
we used to win a lot of games, I thought, in the tunnel. Because yeah. there were strong characters in there. And we always used to say, we should line up against your opponent, and it's 11 v 11, whoever you are, and just look, look at them. And this was part of the psychology where we, we got into the club. Just look at them. If they turn, so that, away, they turn away, they don't fancy. Simple as that. That feeds into uh, what Tamo told us about. And this is another big yeah. character we haven't mentioned yet. John Gale. John Gale came in. Tom, obviously, we're moving towards Wembley. You know, yeah. Wembley. And Tom, Tomo said that um, John Gale, uh, you know, caught, how would you describe it? He um, did a bit of gamesmanship in the tunnel against Swansea. Well, Gale is Gale. Again, he's, uh, yeah. he's a, we call him Bubbler. Again, a bit like Jason White. They've seen by twins, basically. And anyway, we, we, we like, um, uh, we gaily, like, again, he used to look at people in the tunnel and people just melt. And he was yeah. a big old lump. And what I used to get in trouble with gaily is I used to think, again, looking back at the second division of John Gale, if I, if I was have been a manager playing against John Gale and he wanted to just 40 yards from goal, I would have just let him go. But everybody <laughs> wanted to fight with him. John Gale, 40 yards from goal. Well, he wasn't going to turn, beat you, drop his shoulder, and smash him in the top corner. That wasn't his game. His game was in the box. But people yeah. used to follow him and they used to try and head it. And I'm thinking, they'd try and fight with him and they'd give free kicks away. I'm thinking, great for us. But what are you yeah. doing? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But the Gale in the tunnel was brilliant and probably were going to the final now where we played Swansea after, the, after Cardiff, which was fantastic. Yeah. We got the Swansea. Um, and in the tunnel, we limp against Swansea, and Gailey was straight across from Carl Eggs, <laughs> who we later signed. And then Gailey started to, with Carl Eggs. Well, Eggsy, no one knew. Little, little Gailey wouldn't have known either at the time. He was like an ABA boxer. <laughs> and you know what I mean? So Eggsy weren't having none of it, was he? Like it's so that kind. Of, so they had a little battle going on before we went out at Wembley, but. The rest of them, I mean, again, the lads like, you just, you just, I used to say to them, just look at your opponent in the eye. Mm. I'm going to say anything. I'm going to shout. Just look them. And the minute they turn away, and if it's very early, they don't fancy it. And yeah. sort of psychologically, that gives you a big lift as well, by the way. Knowing that you, you, well, I mean, you've, you've gained yourself a, a margin before you ever go out. Didn't say anything. We didn't have to. But psychology-wise, just look someone in the eye, see if they fancy it. Did you, um, Ian? Did you like how? What were your what was your tactical approach to the Swansea game at Wembley? Because Jan Mulby was their manager, and we had some difficult games against them. Like before, what, what was, how did you set it all up? Yeah, Swansea beat us twice. They they were a good side with, with Jan, but we, we talked with Gary. I don't remember Tomo and, and Danny O'Shea as well were there, and we're thinking, well, what Swansea side would you like to play? And we all thought, well, if Jan plays. And we think Jan will play because he, Jan was a great lad. I've known him, obviously, because I've been the Everton Liverpool days. Um, I've known him made from Kiddie and I classed him as a, a good friend in football. But did we want him to play? And we thought, well, yeah, because what he'll do is he'll slow everything down and he'll yep. want to play. And Swans will want to play through him. And But Jan now, at his age, similar to Tom Owens at 35, I think he was, he was like uh, playing as well, playing mainly, whatever it was. Jan will slow it down and that will suit us. So we thought Jan had play, which he did. Um, and basically, again, we've just got to wait for our opportunity because if we try and beat these for just total football, it ain't going to happen because I had some good players, by the way. And, and to be fair, let's be fair, you're playing against Jan, who's big international, played for Liverpool, won title for fun. 
he could dictate yeah. any game he'd done it all year for Swansea. Probably it was Jan ultimately that got him to the playoffs anyway. Um, yeah. and, and we did them again. We so we set our stall out. We had to change Dave when he came off injured. He had a cut on his eye, but he also nicked his cartilage at the same time. He could have played with the cut, but it was his knee, so we had to take Dave off. Um, which we changed our shape a little bit, and that was that was the first time we probably changed shape all season. And it was more like a flat back four with a very lopsided wide left to up front and three in midfield, that kind of thing. Um, but because I think Swansea slowed everything down through Jan, it worked in our favour. Um, yeah. So as we went on, we grew into the game a little bit more on. Sean obviously had one kicked off the line and I think Exit had a good chance where Andy had saved it, Woody had saved it. But it was a game of very, very few chances and it was one of them where who's going to, like a game of cards, who's going to blink first? Very, very tight game, Andy. Oh, um, you yeah. you were covering it, obviously, at Wembley. Uh, what I just, re- I just re- remember a very, very nervy game, sort of white knuckle ride for most of it. Um, what about you, yeah. Andy? Yeah, no, it's the same. As I said, it was a game of few chances and, and Swansea had been marked out, you know, as the, the stylists against the, the fighters, so to speak. Um, although having said that, um, Swansea probably had the, the better of the possession, but I don't think they created too okay. many problems for us, really. It was a bit of a stalemate and it just built up to that frame 93. Well, I think it was one of them again. I think we, we, we talked about Jason White and we thought we would bring... Jason off, I think, right? We, we, we took Gailey off as well. Um, may have been near, I think it was John near the end. And you just think then, like, you know, I mean, will they, knowing Jan, will he try and be, again, I want to say horrible, maybe over clever and let's try and overcome and say and spread out a bit more, well, that will suit us as well. Um, and then we get the free kick. And <laughs> I know Terry Hebrion was a referee who was from the Northeast, who I vaguely knew from my time down there, but then he was also the referee for the the following playoff against Grimsby. Yes. Um, yeah. And I remember Franey taking it and Dave Penny was who broke out the, the wall and he hit Dave Penny, put it down and then Terry had moved the wall back and also moved it over slightly as well. And I, I'm not sure whether John moved the ball with it, but what it did is obviously give John the opportunity now, a better opportunity to curl the ball. And whatever people say, you're still talking injury time and, um, there's a pressure on, you're taking a free kick um, and John hit it again and this time it went over the wall into the top corner and then yeah. all hell went loose. <laughs> Did uh, John Frayne practice those or was that just like an off the cuff? Yeah, thing? he used to, to be fair. He's, I mean, he's always had a good left foot anyway and he, he, he used to take our corners as well if he'd, he would and he'd, cl- he'd clip them into that near post area. We had a very well-worked corner all the way through the season uh, which got even stronger then the following year and and people like Freestone came in, but John was always good on the free kicks in the corners, in and around the box, especially on the right side, bending them in um, with his left foot as well, curling them in on the keeper. So um, it was fitting for, for, for John as well, to be fair, because I said before, we, we brought him into the club and Birmingham were a championship side. He, he took his chance to come down into the, the second division with, with us at Northampton. Uh, had injury problems at Birmingham where they hadn't treated him particularly well. Um, and it was a fitting ending, not for, as much for the for John as for the club as well. That we uh, was virtually the last kick of the game, and we got promoted. Yeah, that moment, that moment, I think it uh, it was a release of all the um, the sad times oh, of, that we'd been through yeah, in the yeah. early nineties. It was just yeah. the fans were you know the fans crying in the stands. 
Andy was jumping for joy in the press box, I think, around you, Andy. It was just one of those moments. It was one of those moments. And it was a release of of all those difficult years and a quite unbelievable story that in such a short space of time, you know, we've come from virtually going out of business to to winning a playoff at Wembley. I mean, it was a fairy tale. And it just to say it happened, obviously, again, the, the following season, and you started to get a little bit blasé about, you know, oh, it's a certain day of the year, we're going to Wembley. But <laughs> had to, you had to pinch yourself and think, well, these times probably won't come around again that often, if at all. So you have to make the most of them. And, and so it's proved, really. I think towards the end of the day, Northampton as a football club, as, as probably you can always say, has been possibly a yo-yo club where you've had two good years, you can yeah. a good team, players leave, then you've got to build another one. In yeah. that period then sometimes you get relegated and then you've got to come up again. Um, yeah. But to get the Wembley, obviously the, the centenary as well. But also the kit, because people have, have always asked me about how did we end up with that kit, by the way, that we had. And <laughs> as good as it was, it was, I used to play with a lad at Birmingham called Colin Gordon, uh, who became an agent with Keith Sports in the end. Um, and he started to work for Lotto, which was in Milton Keynes. Yeah. And with... with um, Colin worked for a guy called Andrew Adey, who may still be the secretary at Barnet. And because of what happened is Roma in Italy had changed their kit. And this mm. was Lotto. And I think we may have been the first league side to have Lotto, the Italian Lotto. And what happened was it, Roma had changed style of their kit. And because we got claret, Colin had rang me up and said, look, you can have as much gear apparently from Italy as you want. You've got all this kit. <laughs> It's all Roma. Oh, and that's, and that's basically how we ended up with that kit that year. And also the following year with the yellow one as well, by the, with the, the yellow model. That's how we ended up with the kit. Oh, was, I never it, knew that. Never knew oh, that. Oh, yeah, it was that's Roma. That's a brilliant story. So is, that, is our, our kit was essentially Roma's kit? Yes, it was Roma's. Because <laughs> wow. That, that, that yeah, was, I linked. Yeah, this was Lotto. And, and I said, yeah. Roma had changed the kit and they'd got so much stock left over, Roma had. Um, or Lotto had, because Roman obviously with maroon as well, and they got the yellow-white on, and the white shirt yeah. with, with the yellow and maroon on the back of it. Uh, it just it just fitted us perfectly. So yeah. that's basically, we when people always, one, two, I've heard one, two people say, where did you get the kit from? That's how it happened. <laughs> that was voted the best uh, ever. Enough. We did a, a little poll online, and that was voted the best ever kit. So fair play to you guys for getting Lotto involved. It was a lovely kit. Oh, and we were lucky that the the, um, the franchise that they were doing Lotto from was Milton Keynes. Oh, right. It's funny and how it so, works out. Yeah, suddenly. So it was close as well. And then suddenly, believe it or not, from the Lotto end as well, and for support of the that because we wore Lotto, and then... Colin Gordon had started to work for Lotto. Then during the season, they used to come and do sh- um, photo shoots at Sixfields. We had Ruth Gullett down there, one with Lotto. <laughs> Colin, Gordon, Colin was down when he came. We, he was a top playing for Tottenham at the time. Oh, we had all kinds of people down, especially like the 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 ex, the ex uh, Italian the Italian lads who really played over. They're Dutch lads who'd now obviously Gullett had come to Chelsea and all that. Oh yeah, we oh, had yeah. All the photo I remember that now. Yeah, the yeah. Photo shoots. I've still got photos of him. I bet different. you tried to sign them up, didn't you, Ian? I tried trying to pick his boots out of his bag, but he wouldn't have it. But that, that, that whole time, there, there, there was, I've been going about it a lot, me and Andy, but there's a feel-good factor around the club. It didn't feel like for once that we, it was ended. We, we, we were going to go on the next season. And um, you, Ian, brought in, was able to bolster the club with some actually, looking back on it, some quite strong signings. 
Colin Hill, I think, came in. It was a Northern Ireland inter- international, um, if I'm right. Chris Freestone, who we've spoken to previously on the podcast. Carl Heggs came in, um, obviously an adversary of John Gale. But um, David Seal, I think, came in then. Um, Ian, do you reckon that, that helped to bolster the squad a little bit? I think it did, but there's still the crux of the squad was still the solidness that we had. And yep. the players losing... Um, uh, Hunter, uh, Roy Hunter, and Paris. He then give James Hunt the opportunity to play, yeah. um, and also Dean Pierre, who I knew everything about him. Who can criticise what he was? You don't do this, you don't do that. But I tell you what, if you want to put your hat on someone, you put it on Dean Pierre. You know what you're going to get. Yeah. Um, he was a real unsung hero, wasn't he? Dean he was. A, he was another work called an unsung hero that basically, if you'd have had the opportunity or, or money to go and be better. You know, I mean, compete with all the big boys at the time, Watfords and, and all this kind of stuff. Um, then he would have been perfect to win the ball, give it to a ball player. That, that's mm. what really the fear. So it was still really that kind of grafting side. You know what I mean, I mean, David Brightwell come in as well somewhere around that period as well. And, and David, we, we bought in, and David, I think, with. Warburton and Samson were our best three ever while I was there. I know Colin came in, he was an international, he was got a bit of intelligence about him. But the solidness and a three in a uni, that was my that that was me three. You know what I mean? Because I look back and think, cool, look at them three there. They ain't many gonna get past them. They're all good in the air. Brightwell can play with his left foot, Sammy can play with his right foot. Razor, you just head it. <laughs> so, have we you know what I mean? So yeah, we 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 built the started to build up. I mean, if you're really honest, look you look at the beginning of the season and we're thinking, well, we'll do well to stay up here. I mean, we were in mind. I mean, I think we were still in receivership, Andy. Administration. I think we we, weren't. Yeah, we, I think we, we were. Got out and you know what I mean? We got promoted as well while we were in receivership administration. How hmm. many clubs do that to get promoted no. out of any league? I don't. You know what I mean? It can be in the nation yeah. league, whatever. So we, we, that was what we achieved and the directors, the supporters, all them turnstile people, Andy, your press, everybody in it. That was a major achievement for everybody. So we, we go into the following season then really as like cannon fodder, if we're brutally honest, because mm-hmm. people just thought we were going to lie, roll over and die. In my eyes, I always thought that we may give a better account of ourselves here than what people think because the division above, everybody wants to play a little bit more football. So they'll take the time playing it and they'll maybe have more passes, extra passes in their own half. That may suit us because we can regroup and that was our strength. And we can still play three centre-halves, but we can still work. But maybe there's going to be more opportunities to go and counter-attack down the side of people. And one of the real reasons with... I mean, Neil Grayson was fantastic for us. Um, John Barmer had done brilliant bringing him in. He was a great lad. He's a great character. And we'd had an offer of, I think it was 20,000 from Hereford. Um, and we knew we could get Cole from Swansea, who was a lot younger than Neil for 20,000, I think it was, or a little bit more than that. And he was a local lad, Leicester lad, left, both left-footers. But there was just a bit more mileage in Carl, who played in the higher level, been at West Brom, than what there was Neil. And Neil had been fantastic for us. So... Um, it wasn't an easy, easy decision, but one sometimes as a manager you have to make. You know what I mean? Neil was a crowd favourite and done great. 
but I just felt then Cole would be just give us that bit of pace. Freestone was exactly the same. Freestone is where I got pace. I remember Notts County, and again the basis of it was was there might be a bit more space in behind defenders here and teams. Yeah, they're going to come at us and they're going to take more touches if we can win possession around the half line line quickly, and which was the strength of Roy Hunter. Uh, when he came back and Dean Pierre and, and, and James Hunt win it and come on let's feed it quickly down the side to people you know what I mean they won't live with the pace that we've got and so be and then we all have the alternative then of, of John Gale so if we did get in wide areas we could put the ball in but John Gale basically was great in both boxes so yeah. also one of those where you look at it well we haven't got £100,000 to spend here at the moment on a top player or a better player so how do we work it? So we have to have two. You know what I mean? So, but one might have a good strength in the air. The other one might be very quick. So yep. one might have to play someone who <laughs> got weak defenders. And the other half, if we're winning and teams come out at us, we'll play pace. And we tried to kill the two off together, to be fair, as we went on. And I remember Gailey and Seeley, basically, that was, that was one pair in such. And then Carl and Freestone, um, if we needed another, another route, you know what I mean? So, I thought yeah. they were good players in their own right, but we didn't really have what I call top, top quality. The idea yeah. of Seal probably coming in, David Seal, I'd seen Deal, he was probably technically very, very, very good. Wasn't as mobile the others, but he was some finisher, by the way, and probably a little bit unlucky. But we bought David in basically because his finishes abilities as much as his playing abilities. Yeah, Tomo talked a bit about um, David Seal. No, was, yeah, yeah, and Chris Reese said a little bit as well. They said that. He had uh, plenty of ability, but maybe blew a bit hot, hot and cold. But uh, just uh, he, they can understand why you brought him in, like a, a really good player, Australian, wasn't he? Or isn't he? Australian. Yeah. Which, what we tried to do is, I think, actually, again, when you, I wouldn't say work the article, but you, you've got to try and, uh, and like utilise everything you can. We said before, because we're Northampton, we can't afford like the, your Bristol's or your, your Watfords. Yeah. So we're going Oh, another route, we're going to have to go two players, okay, So, but we're going to have to split a wage up between the two and play one, one half on the other, or one might do really well one week, but okay, we'll leave him out the next, and people might wonder, well, why you left him out? Well, I'm not sure they can do two games on the trot. Yeah. We had to psychologically talk, Gary, myself, Kevin Wilson was there then at the time as well. So we, 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 we talk a lot of that kind of thing, of what was, the, what was our, our best route to win the game this week and sometimes it wasn't always the best players but the most effective players and and, and, and that's how we worked and that's how we, we worked right the way through virtually at Northampton in that a balancing way. act throughout, throughout yeah. sort of the whole time I guess and um, one game I wanted to talk about and it, uh, it stands out for me I don't know if you remember it, it was Watford away that season yes uh, they were sort of adversaries at the time and um, I think Dean Pierce scored in that goal we came back he showed a real fighting spirit and we had a massive away following it was a really good day that one but again was, I think we went to Bristol City and we drew 0-0 uh, and we went to Fulham as you said Fulham and I think we got a 1-1 draw at Fulham and again yeah. you're talking like Paul Pescalido who, who I actually was instrumental in bringing him over from Canada to Birmingham um, believe it I played in his very first game for Birmingham in the reserves and I was playing um, oh, right and he cost over a million. Paul Bracewell, who I played with at Everton, England international, they'd suddenly bought him as well. Do you know what I mean? So, uh, Paul Moody, I think as well, who later went to Oxford when I was at Oxford, and people, they'd spent a lot of money 
an awful lot of money. Do you know what I mean? So it was, how, how, do you, how are you going to beat them? You, we had to plan. And we did, a, we did a lot of planning and a lot of work that you did yourself on the training pitch. You didn't have a laptop, which I, that's not my advice. We worked and we worked individually and we worked as a team shape. And if we were playing for them, we'd say, right, this is what we think will be. The players bought into it because they knew it was best for the players. We weren't asking them to do anything that they couldn't do or be over clever as such that may have lost a bit of confidence. This is your strength. This is the strength of the team. This is how we're going to go about it. Great. And the players loved it and they bought into it because they knew it was good for them. And we'll, it does help when you're winning games as well. And also we had, again, some strong characters and desire and will to win. And he had the supporters behind you as well. It was, uh, and they dragged us to us. We beat, uh, we had some good results that season. We had some wins as well. Beat Fulham, beat Plymouth 3-1. I think Chris Freestone got a hat-trick. Uh, all built towards, you know, getting back in the playoffs uh, semi-final against Bristol Rovers. Andy, you covered that one as well, the, the uh, playoffs yeah. against um, Bristol yeah, Rovers. The away, the away game on the Sunday where we were 3-0 down, not really at our best. And then John Gale scored that goal near the end, which which was a lifeline, really. It gave us all a little bit of hope. But I don't think anyone really could have predicted what then happened on the Wednesday night, the manner of the results and the and the performance. I think it still is the best ever game that we've seen at Sixfield Stadium. And I think you're going to struggle to beat it, really. I, I don't think it was. I mean, I, the Bristol Rovers game, the first leg, I mean, after Graham Taylor ran me, he went, I can't believe you conceded three goals. <laughs> uh, on the day, nothing went right. And I'm not going to say all the players, they did this and that. They were brilliant. It was just sometimes these things happen in football and people don't know why. And we just did things that, like, we'd done fantastic all year. And on this day, the day that you didn't want it to happen, <laughs> it did. And do you fair, I remember, I think, three you look into the, 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 the second half, into the early in the second half, they hit the post. And I think Woody had pulled off another couple of great saves. And you just think, where are we? I mean, this, this ain't us. What, what, what's happened here? And I remember then thinking, well, you knew the away goals counted double. Um, and we did then swap the system and we put another one up front. I remember right, another one in midfield and we went to flat back four and, and Gailey got a goal and James and put him through and Gailey got a goal with about 10 minutes to go. So in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, we've got out of jail here. But two goals in beyond us, not against Bristol Rovers, by the way, no, no shudder. And I think what really helped us kick us on as well, by the way, was when we were all coming off. And I kept highlighting Tomo and Dennis and everybody. Is, if you remember, Andy, the, yes. the um, loud tannoy. Like on the tannoy, yeah. He started yeah. to sing Wembley, Wembley. And I, honestly, I was like, I got steam coming out of my ears. I was like one of them big <laughs> clubs. I remember in the dressing room afterwards, I was like, I couldn't believe I was like speechless. And I, I don't remember saying a massive amount, but what I did remember, I've never ever done it. And I tell me this, Andy, I don't know why I wouldn't speak to the press. I think no. Ian Holloway thought, Ian Holloway, come on and give it. I think he did right there. What a great thing. That was not well right thought. My head had gone. I think I'm brutally honest. Like, I couldn't believe it. So I was, I was really, fuck it, one of those occasions. You think, how can you put your finger on this? I don't know. Because anyway, so... I ain't speaking to anybody. So I jumped on the coach. Everybody come on. Then we 
we got back um, to Sixfield and we had everybody in the next day and what well, basically we got on the pitch and I started to get into the three centre halves and thinking, come on, we've got to be a bit tighter than that and just wind, starting to wind them up a little bit, you know what I mean? And like, not so much asking questions. This is what we're doing now on two Wednesday, where it is, how we're doing it. But what we did is then, I, after really like, probably getting into them and winding them up, we went, we booked over at Friday's over the road from the ground and put a few platters on there. And I just said, no one's going before five o'clock. Um, we got there about one and the lads had had two or three points then suddenly the banter started to come back again and they started to you know I mean have a bit of fun with each other and then I started to put in as well like you know what I mean about Razor I've like, been a logger and everything head on a stick and all that and then Woody started and it loosened everybody up and we came in the next day and you got a sense of the feeling the players and I could see in their eyes I'm, Ian Clarkson's the one that sticks out because when he's focused everybody's focused by the way and if he's looking you in the eye, you think, oh, you're going to get punched here. Or he's going to, you know what I mean? Because he's, you could see it and mentally he was wound up. And he was one of the instigators of winding the players up again. Probably not as known as John Gale or, or an Ian Sampson, but Ian Clarkson was a winner. And he was a little bit of a captain in him. And we trained then and we then come to the game on the Wednesday. And again, I always remember taking Tomo and Kevin and we went up to the Italian at the top. And I just felt so relaxed. And I ordered him to go. He's saying to me, going to win, aren't we? I said, no problem. I've got no issue. And I sat there and the supporters are sitting there as well. And some from Bristol. And we're talking to the punters. And I'm saying, just, we'll be okay. No worries. And I don't <laughs> remember really saying a lot to the players before the game, apart from do the jobs. But what I do remember, going back again to having the strong characters and the psychology, we won that game in the tunnel. And John yeah. Gale... I can't remember, was it Bater, the centre-half, the big lad, one of the centre-halves, and he come off, he said, I've never been battered to back black and blue. I mean, I mean fairly, not necessarily, but they yeah. melted in the tunnel, by the way. And I, honestly, they, you, I was standing there, and I think Russell Osman was at Bristol at the time as well, and he looked at me and he nodded his head to say, you know, like, you know what I mean, you bugger. And we, we, we got everything spot on, and sometimes, probably in football, you don't, you don't get a situation where you say, I've got the preparation right, I've got this, 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 and you can feel it. doesn't happen, yeah. you know what I mean? And this was a night where the previous day, I can't, for my life, what actually or how we played. But this one, I, we got it spot on, I felt it. And it was, the crowd as well was so charged up for it, which was, I thought was brilliant as well. Probably more charged for the Bristol than the Cardiff one, if I'm handling yeah. my bet. Yeah, no, definitely. Not sure. Yeah. But they were, and, and then players as such. I, I remember the first half, I thought, well, cool, we're charged. I remember in Sampson in the post, and then we got the goal, and we got 1-0, so we need one. Um, so we're nice and relaxed in the dressing room, just saying, look, we need one. We'll, we'll take that away, goal, so we haven't got a problem. But I was a little bit concerned, if I'm brutally honest, because sometimes when you play with such energy like we did in the first half against Bristol, and we played well, then it's difficult to do the second half as well because you've had that 15-minute break where you sit down and sometimes you can think, oh, well, I've done, and we chill. God, we went out again second half and for 90 minutes. And I can't remember Bristol having a shot or a chance. I can't remember it. No, no the atmosphere was second to none that night. The, the ball was almost been sucked into that by the fans. And like Cardiff the year before, when Six Fields was on it and Six Fields oh. was rocking, 
they weren't they weren't they weren't going to get anything and uh just so it turned out that we just we just turned the whole performance up to 11 that night it was brilliant wasn't it Andy? oh it was absolutely fantastic as you as you say tom it was uh the, the 12th man was the crowd that night there was that intensity around the the stadium the whole thing was just bubbling and then it was yeah fantastic the Goal two went in, goal three, um, was it Clarkson and then Warburton, I think? Warburton yeah. got the third. Yeah, rise of the head. And probably probably the, the, yeah. the, the, the trump card on that night where was probably Hexy coming back. He probably had one of his best games for us because remember yes. I'd been just sent off against Burnley, I think he was. So we'd missed the, the two, uh, three previous games to that and he come back and he was on fire as well and he was wound up. And I said before, when he's wound up, he, he, yeah. I mean, he, and he, that is, he was a handful, um, mm. and he had one of these nights of, that he was a handful, and they couldn't handle him. Yeah. I think Tomo told us the story about uh, John Gale. I don't know if it was this game because there was a few where John Gale was up to his antics, but I think he was bouncing the ball off someone's head in the tunnel, and it was one of those games where the, the match was was one in the tunnel that Tomo said it was just they they, they just couldn't cope with. Well, it. Well, and that could well have been the centre and a half. I think it was Beta. Um, one of them was a, a, um, an experienced lad for Bristol, right? and he was good as gold. You know what I mean? But they again, we bounces. Everybody bounces or not? I, it was just that they they were, they were so focused and had so much desire that, say, in that tunnel, they they just they just melted Bristol. We hadn't even kicked the ball. No. <laughs> Andy, um. Obviously- we went, we went to Wembley again. We took an even bigger following, uh, yeah. May 24th, 1998. I think it was about 45,000. 40, it was a massive figure. Um, it was 41,000 yeah. out of 68,000. Yeah, yeah. I was speaking to Tobbo and, uh, about the uh, playoff final at Wembley where we took 41,000. And uh, he, he was saying that he wasn't even sure there was that many people in Northampton. So it was a, another massive... <laughs> event for the town and uh, against Grimsby um, Ian can probably give us a little bit of insight I thought Grimsby weren't actually a bad bad team actually that, that day that's some good players I, I think no I think they um, they dropped down from the, 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 the first championship maybe maybe a year before oh yeah and I knew Alan Buckley and Grimsby were one of the sides that you knew could cause you problems, a little bit probably like Swans of the year before. Um, and they had good players, to be fair. I knew Alan Buckley, Wiley Old Character as well. Um, and and they had a they had a tray. He always told me afterwards, like it was a, when we were playing the game, obviously we, we, they knew we were quite strong from set pieces and they just said the, their goalkeeper was coming for everything, every set piece, everything. The defenders just moved up, moved out of the way. Because the keeper has come for everything, we win, win or lose it. And, he, and on the day, everything stuck for the goalkeeper. He came for everything, punched everything he had to do, um, and they did it. They did the job, and they were a good side. I, I got no qualms. I thought arguably we were probably better in that game than what we were against Swansea. A, a little bit better, created a little bit more as well. But as I said before, it wasn't to be. Um, disappointing because you again, you. you there's one place you don't like losing is Wembley. Yeah, I think it was a be- it was a better game of football yes, generally, and I think I think the Cobblers did the, the team probably did play better than they did against Swansea. But as you say, Grimsby were a very useful side, and you know just had the probably the breaks on the day to to win the game and probably deserved to win the game over the ninety minutes probably. They had uh, Grimsby had Jack Lester, 
yeah. really good yeah. player. Uh, a guy called Donovan, who's who, yeah. I think he scored. He's a very very useful player. I spoke to Chris Freestone, and he said that he was frustrated on the day because he wanted just one chance to yeah. fall for him. It just never yeah. did, and he just one of his like career sort of regrets at that think, one chance. Yeah. I'd agree with that. I think we had. I thought we had one or two. What I call it wouldn't be massively clear chances, but we had one or two chances. What I call half chances that we probably didn't have against Swansea, but we really didn't have anything fair. We could have do with one fault in the David Seal as well. Do you know what I mean? Because you knew he would have come in. There's one thing probably from my point of view going into that game. Look at that game. Is we did keep the same team um, as obviously what would be Bristol Rovers. Um, on that night, and uh, said so we would charge up and everything. But you did, Mom, with our mom. We, we, at that time, we had Jason Dazelle as well, who suddenly had gone from Ipswich to Tottenham for six million, and for some unknown reason, it hadn't worked out. And I knew Jason, and and hindsight, looking back, you all think, wonder whether that would have been Jason's game, because he was technically a very good player, and you were playing against a technical team. Yeah, and he may, may just have got hold of the ball in the last third maybe have created something rather than us put the ball in the box at times um he hadn't had a terrific spell for us jason but he was one of those people that you knew possibly would you should you have played him and, and that will always stick in my mind if anything as much as the game because again he, he was such a talented player and talented players like that sometimes come alive in big games and big stages um, I said before, he hadn't pulled up any trees and arguably probably hadn't deserved to be in the team. Um, he had little spells for us, but sometimes people like him can win. So if there was anything going into that game, would you have done anything? I think the preparation was everything we did. Would I play Jason? Looking back, possibly. I guess, I guess during a career, you're always going to have one or two just things oh. you look back at. If I if I'm going to, oh, you do. do it. Yeah. Your day, you, you, again, it's one of them football. This is what football's about, isn't it? This is what it's such a great game because people have all got different opinions at times, and um, you're never going to get everything particularly right because it's impossible. The, the, the big top managers, whether it's been your Ferguson's, whatever it may be, it don't. But again, it, it, there's always something that's stuck in my mind on that one. Mm. Could you or would you? Mm, possible, <laughs> Andy. Um... Obviously, that was a, a, a low, but it was a you know a good season, a bit of a low to finish to lose against Grimsby. It was no no insult to lose against them. The next season was you know fairly difficult one, wasn't it? Maybe you can talk us through a little bit about that season in Canada. So what? Yeah, I mean it's where do you start really with ninety eight ninety nine? Um, just reflecting on it as as I did through the book, and obviously again now, and and just looking back at some of the events that that happened. One. Um, I, I, Ian will talk about it. I'm sure he he had a bit of bad luck with with signings. Players he wanted his, to sign, he, he he couldn't get in. Um, there was a lot of stuff with injuries, um, a bit of unrest in the dressing room. Just a lot of things came to the came to the boil in that season, and it was quite unsettling, really, and in complete contrast to the two years before. As you say, I think those sort of things happened, but as a result, um, results started to dip off, and obviously. Um, relegated at the end of it. We did. I think it was what I did at the end of the last year. And bear in mind, as a, and the players, as a staff as well, we, we probably had about three weeks off in three years because obviously the, the playoffs you don't finish till May. 
you come back and whatever. And I always used to do my pre-seasons, my own pre-seasons, and they were always built on what I'd learned at Everton, uh, what I'd come from Everton, Ipswich, Sunderland, Shrewsbury, picked up from Howard Kendall, all these kind of things. And and that pre-season, we decided, again, being innovated at that time, we'd started on the psychology. Um, and at Loughborough University, there was a lad called Dave Redding, um, and he was starting to make a little bit of a name for himself. Since gone on and worked with the England rugby team at the World Cup, some into World Cup final. Now working as a top guru for the English FA. And as a club, we, we I spoke to Barry Stunnell, and I decided to let this Dave do the pre-season. It cost us four or five thousand pounds for five-week pre-season which again was a little bit innovative. It wasn't the usual pre-season idea, but it was something different with new players coming in. And um, in November, the first day of pre-season, I'm looking, I'm thinking, and, oh dear, because like, I generally like a little bit of build-up to a, a pre-season of what we call in the bank. And suddenly like, we were pulling tyres and going through ladders, and I'd never seen this before. And we just signed Damien Matthew. He, he pulled his disc out of his back in his first day. Very rarely, never kicked a ball for us. And it, it didn't start off for us particularly brilliant like that. We'd, I tried to bring in uh, Smart. Like, and Was it Smart from Preston? And smart, yeah. Alan, oh, yeah, and everything was geared to bring him in. And suddenly he went to Watford. And then we bought Carlo Corazin, who'd come in. He was a Canadian international. You'd think, come in and give us a little bit more quality in the forward areas, of that, that kind of thing. Um, and we set off in the pre-season. I don't know if you remember right then, Andy. It was like World War Three. I mean, we lost Damien. I lost Andy, uh, sorry, Paul Wilkinson with his Achilles, who'd never had a problem with that before. Ian yeah. Samson, Ray Warburton both had little cartilages. Early into the season, Ian Clarkson broke his leg with a tackle. Yeah. Thing, which was which was shocking, and that season we had 18 operations. Now even Dennis said to me, I've, I've never had this in the whole of my career. Now I'm not saying it yep. was days because we give someone. You know, I mean, I didn't do my own pre-season, not, not at all. But it just coincidence, and everything seemed to go the opposite way for us. But there'd be little decisions that we made or players come in and. Some of the players that we bought in, people probably like the Dobsons, this world, I would never have bought in, but we'd had so many injuries that suddenly we're having to make snap decisions and they're only costing 20 grand or whatever it may be. But these added all added on to the burden of the club, if you're brutally honest, as it went on. But what did we do? And we did have an awful lot of injuries. And someone and people said, Did you create your monster? And but the monster couldn't last, you know what I mean? You'd had three great years Northampton but they're always going to dip and I disagree so I just think as a, as a monster we were a little bit unlucky as well because mm-hmm. of A, the injuries but then what also worked against us as I think you said there Andy we did within the dressing room such a tight dressing room with good characters and suddenly you know, to bring Paul Wilkinson in I'd let Gailey go to Scunthorpe because you think obviously Paul's played the highest level he'd had no injuries and I think this nail and then Razor, we, um, we'd had a big offer from Rushton. And you think, well, Razor had also it's been fantastic for me. And also for the club. He'd had previous injuries with his broken leg and his back before he'd come and done well. And then suddenly he had this 
knee problem and we had the offer and I remember speaking to the board as well and we all the same conclusion that it was too big an offer to turn down for the age Razor was at the time and Razor was given the opportunity we if we could be nice we couldn't and Razor came back and Barry Stone did put an offer to Ray and it wasn't as big as Rushton and in the end Razor goes to Rushton so you lose another character player out yeah and yeah. we bought better players in but what it did, we didn't have the same heart. And I think with the injuries that we had as well to the character players, like your Clarksons, and obviously Razor had gone and things of his nature, we, we never had the same heart as what we'd had the previous two or three years to me. Yeah. And it became, the dressing room did a little bit, and a lot of it was based on, I always said to people, we did the psychology and, Janet Knowles and we did it and Tomo did it, we all did it. And we had the same dressing room for three years and all the players had bought into it. This kind of um, innovative stuff like the psychology had only just started to come into the English game. So we'd had a dressing room now suddenly who believed in what we were doing or trying to do. And then we brought people like Colin Hill, Corazine and other people who'd never ever heard of it or seen it. And yeah. we really didn't, you know, I mean, oh, What's this all about? No, I ain't doing this. But we've done it and suddenly become a, that's become a bit factional. I don't think it's like a factional thing that they didn't like each other or anything of that nature. But the injuries I did think played a big part. I did think we lost, we lost heart with certain players that left by trying to get better players in. And sometimes, looking back, we did spend a little bit of money on the people like the Corazons of this world and everything. But you think... We let people like Gailey go for nothing and we bought Wilkinson for nothing. What really do you get better for nothing than what you've let go? And yeah. that's not easy. So it was it was a strange year. It was a, it was a testing year. And it did, from day one, nothing, nothing seemed to go right. And probably till the last two months of the season when we never lost a game. Yeah, yeah Andy... Um... You know, obviously there's been some really brilliant highs and I think that's just, it sometimes happens in football. Football's a bit cyclical. Sometimes things, you know, sort of just start coming to an end in a certain way. Um, how, how do you sum up that sort of final season for Ian at Cobblers? As I said, I think I said it in one of the podcasts um, a few days ago and, and just now, it, it was just one of those seasons really where just everything that could go wrong seemed to go wrong um there wasn't a great deal of luck coming our way and and as Ian said you know that, that the heart probably went out of the the dressing room and uh, with, the, with the injuries new, lots of new players had to come in with the Warburton thing I remember at the time you know as Ian said it was a joint decision and, and with the board that Ray moves on and you can see all the reasons for that not least financial um but at the time that happened, um, it just seemed a big because we lost Ian Clarkson already and, and other sort of heart players, yeah. if you like. And then all of a sudden there was another one going out the door and you just thought, oh, where's this all going to end up? And, and unfortunately, it ended up in, in in relegation. That wasn't the only reason. There were a lot of just it was a perfect storm of um, bad news, really. And just a shame that it happened so quickly after two great years. Yeah, Ian, you've never, I've, I've never really heard you talk too much about how your time at the club ended. Um, are you, did you have any bitterness towards it at all, or how did you feel uh, about it at all? I mean, just, just going back to the, like, again, we're, we're just very, very quickly going back to what we've just said there with Andy, with 
with players and we had such a great heart and you, we obviously I tried we tried to probably think well we can go again you know what I mean yeah we'll go and get we'll get into the the championship the next year we've got to do this we've got to do that hindsight as I said before like my my decision with Jason Dazelle maybe not planning maybe I should maybe the club then we should have just all sat down and gone look if we finish off up the league now we'll stay with the same set of players or we'll play a little bit let's see how far that takes us and Again, you, you can read into this what I'm going to say now because when years afterwards, I always remember Ronnie Moore, who was at Rotherham mm. um, and done absolutely brilliant. And Ronnie had took Rotherham to about eighth in the championship or something. And I always remember Ronnie ringing me up and saying, oh, it's like, yeah, I mean, you, oh, I guess some of you, you know all players. Can you recommend a couple of like, I mean, we're going to we're go for the, like, the premiership next year. And I always remember his true story and saying, Ron, don't be an idiot. He said, well, what do you mean? I said, those players that you've got there, they're honest, the grafters. You've had two years out of them, three out maybe some, and they've got you an area. You'll get another year out of some of them, if not two. What are you going to get better for nothing? Yeah. I look, and, and I'm basically, I'm telling this story on the back of my experience at Northampton. And yeah. And honest, and they look back, and I'm honest. Before we can all, all look back and say, Well, great, we wish now we would have just gone, we'd have been happy with what and it's my mood with me, by the way, as well. I'm not just blaming anyway, it's just me as a, as a manager saying, Right, we're going to get another year out of this, we're going to keep this as it is, let's grind yeah. the season out. We'd had two great years, we punched above our weight, now created an elephant, whatever you want to do is, but we'll grind it out for another year and then let's see. And probably with what I've did is we've tried to do things too quickly. We'll, we, yeah. Yeah, we, we can get into the championship. No, we can't. I mean, we're still in receivership. <laughs> yeah. And that is a true story that I told Ronnie afterwards, and that was really on the back of my experience of that last season. And we, in the end, we made, we did make a fight of it. We didn't lose in the last nine games. Um, and we did make a go of it, and which is fair play to the players. But there's a lot of ifs and buts on that one from my point of view. Simple, and I said before I've told Ronnie. So, yeah, uh, I can I can understand that. Uh, I I'm just trying to put myself in your in your position. Yeah. Um. That that may that maybe you think if the board would have held held fire just a little bit, and because because the uh, like you said, the elephant had been uh, had been created, or like you know, the, there had been a lot of momentum, and sometimes you just got to hold hold faith a little bit, and maybe if you know you would you would have stayed and kept kept all the good things going that were going on in the background and stuff that maybe you know things have been different but that's, I, that's I what... think there was a lot of good I, I, I still think that the injuries did hit us yeah uh, I also did think is the heart by letting too many I thought we brought better players into the club but what they didn't have is they didn't have the same heart the team yeah. then became virtually like a new team that was trying to win games when we weren't winning games and obviously if you're winning people have come into a better mood they come into a better dressing room better club better everything and they settle in better and some of these were good players they've been internationals but didn't really settle in to what we wanted and it just from day one it was just as though like we had three great years here might have been a bit lucky with injuries this is a testing time and we did our best but yeah Again, yep. looking back, and I've got to tell myself, I was, at the end of the day, in the board, this is me, the manager, by the way, um, yep. the saying that 
I, I, I let John Gale go. I let Raywell Burton go. Do you know what I mean? We yeah. are better in, but it just, just, just didn't happen. And I probably, if we could have survived that year with the players we had, I think we would have gone on to be better. Sure. But again, it's that time type. It don't matter. But at the end of the day, it was my decision. Um, and like everything else, you, you go through a board and you, you, you ask a question, you, you try and get better than what you've got. And hindsight, again, wonderful thing. Maybe you should just stay with what we've got and go, and right, we'll do that for another year, see where it takes us. There we go. <laughs> yeah, hindsight's a wonderful thing, isn't it? Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah. your, whole, your whole identity and everything that you were trying to put in was standing up for you, you know, your own mistakes and just putting yourself out there. And you, you did, you hold your hands up and say things didn't go great in that oh, last season. Did. Take responsibility. Yeah, I think as a club, we tried to do everything right. And I said before, and pimp this up the one, we were the, the club at the time, and so you see, you speak to Ian Clark, something like that. Is we were the innovators with the psychology, and also what I was doing with this Dave Red. I gave him his first job, and I'm not saying it was his fault with the pre season, but we just, again, yeah. it, was, it was just so, just thought we were so unlucky. People like Razor and Sammy wouldn't have got injured in that pre season, then you wouldn't have had any doubt of, of keeping. People like Ray and, and whatever, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? And it happens. It's, that's, that's, how it, that's life and it as such. But, that's what we'll, um, but my, yeah. from, from my perspective, and you know, Andy will uh, you know, say a little bit, but I, I can see from a fan who was back watching the Cobblers as a kid from our sins in the, the county ground where we were rattling buckets and uh, the, we had honest players, but there, there was a, a tendency to sort of uh, for players' heads to drop at certain times. We went from that, from that, in a, you know, the county ground to a new stadium and a team with real pride and, you know, as Gary Thompson said, that would stand on and stand up for themselves. And you, you and your players and your staff brought us a real self-respect. We're always looking for as, you know, football fans. And I just, yeah, I just want to thank you. And I'm sure Andy will, you know, say similar. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, that one relegation season apart should be taken in context against what were. You know, two glorious seasons and and two good seasons under under Ian and you know for Cobblers fans of long standing like like myself who don't remember the Division One years and it's you know it's usual cycles of ups and downs ups and downs um, to have those two Wembley years in in quick succession and and memories of the club at that time being so together and 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 fired up and all pulling in the same direction. Absolutely fantastic and um, nothing but thanks for, for Ian and his team, you know, for those years and bringing us those memories. And um, I'm sure a lot of Cobblers fans would echo that. Oh, Andy was brilliant. I think, again, he was, he was one of those where you enjoyed coming to work, you enjoyed training, you didn't want to leave the ground. And when you do yeah. that, you know you're working with good people. And yeah. uh, Chris Freestone echoed that as well, Ian. You. You'd like, you know, be happy to hear Ian, uh, Chris Freestone. I think Tomo used to say they, they they used to say after training we didn't want to rush home. We'd like no, no one did. Huh? Tr- work on our like little bits or no, we yeah. didn't. Everybody was the same as before. Dennis, everybody. We if we anything, we just all mucked in. And uh, again, I was at the end of the day, you're the manager. So if you win games, you set the plaudits. If you lose games, you get battered on the head. But it wasn't about that. It was about everybody else behind me. You know what I mean? And it wasn't just Tom. I said before, it was you get the girls in the, the offices and all that. And it was just yeah, it was just nice to see people smile. And sometimes I think we forget that. And yeah. we've all yeah. in it, the British trait, but we've always got this trait of all bloody oh, you got relegated. But what about the four previous years? And exactly. one yeah. said to me, well, 
what, what he managed, why didn't you like go well? I, I mean, I, people were asking me questions, even going to Cardiff, I had the offer of Millwall and Norwich, and uh, the one that worked with Brian Hamilton. I didn't want to, although I like Brian Hamilton. But on a selfish side, what I should have me as it been, if, been uh, if I wanted to push myself up quickly, what I should have done was done what basically Brian, uh, sorry Barry Fry's very good at, and Martin O'Neill was, was after the second Wembley trip, I should have resigned. Because if I would have resigned as an individual and being selfish, I would have gone on and got another job, a proper, you know what I mean? A higher yeah. job. Do that. I think Chris Wilder is actually, you know, a recent Cobblers yeah. manager is very good at taking the opportunities at the right time. Yeah. Jumping on think, the train at the right yeah, time. Timing, timing's everything. And timing's everything for, for a manager. And also, hindsight's a, a wonderful thing, isn't it? So, <laughs> Yeah. We, we all have that, but the big the big thing was I mean, is as long as people enjoyed that area of that the the era as such. And I mean, I know I did. Um, yeah, oh, it's brilliant. It was a right old laugh. And um, all, yeah. I think just it was a very happy club in those days. Of you know, yeah. Andy uh, dyed his hair. You know. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, bloody. Hell. I could let him escape without that story. Thank um, you. And and what are you saying? I don't remember that dyeing his hair. When was that in Wembley? <laughs> yeah, for the first Wembley, and yeah, that, it stayed there for about six months. So it's supposed, it's supposed <laughs> to be claret white. It was sort of rust brown and blonde. It was awful. <laughs> <laughs> like Dickie Davis. They've gone back to that first Wembley one, by the way. And again, we like, all you remember, we were in the office and they'd rung up from their phone. They basically said, well, if you win, what, what, what records would you like? And we said moving on up and rocking all over the world. And what was the other one? Simply the best. Yeah. Simply the yeah. best. And yeah. we chose them three records, and Nick was there as well, and Gareth in the office. And I think those three records as well stay with the rest of the players for a long, long time, by the way. They must have seen at Wembley how much the crowd had participated in the end of the winning team. And those yeah. records stayed at Wembley, by the way. Yeah, no one wanted to go home, did they? They were just no, stay, stuck in the stadium. Yeah, but yeah. We, neither. we went home, and again, quickly, we remember that even going into the the Wembley there, the Swansea fans set the fire alarm off. Do you remember that? Oh yeah, the hotel. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Everybody come running down. We have to Wembley, the first one at Wembley because we stayed in the Hilton Wembley and the fire alarm went <laughs> off, and we've all come running down. We all ended up in a pub about yeah. half, well, a few hundred yards around from the Hilton, around the corner of Wembley. We all the Swansea supporters never a credit because they were gutted, but they bought us points, and we got we got the players on. We <laughs> saw the right everything round. That was yeah. It was, yeah. At, that, at that Swansea final, my mum and dad couldn't get, they didn't get a ticket, so they watched it in the pub near the, near, near Wembley, and um, there were some Cardiff fans that were uh, with them, oh. and they were giving the big end to loads of like, Swansea fans, and then more Swansea fans turned up, and that, my mum my and dad had to give these Cardiff fans a lift down the road so they didn't get beaten up, but <laughs> <laughs> I think the police were very, very pleased that Swansea and Cardiff didn't meet in that yeah, final. I think they that were. Yeah, you're right there. But, um, <laughs> but, yeah, there was it was a really enjoyable time, a really happy time, and I'm I'm pleased to say that you know, um, Ian, that you're you're still in football, and you got a, a rather it sounds like quite a good job, really. You're scout, European scout now, aren't you? Yeah, I did. I've been mean, what I did. I, again, we're going back. Obviously, you leave Northampton, um, which I was disappointed. There's no, because I'd worked exceptionally hard, and yeah, I, I did feel a little bit, if I'm brutally honest, because. You'd work so hard to do it, and then people didn't seem to have the patience. When, like a lot of teams that probably get relegated, is that it's not until November really that they get going. But you've got to stay with the pack, and we were only a couple of points off. So yeah. it did rank on me a little bit that suddenly, like people who'd been patting you on the back, had 
basically like they've done you any favours in the end do you know what I mean so yeah, yeah. anyway I've done that and I got, then you obviously got the Oxford which was great and Bristol Road which I didn't enjoy but I was basically doing the same things I've been doing at Northampton 10 years before do you know what I mean and if I'm brutally honest I wanted to I, I generally wanted to do something different style of plays whatever but never really had the money to do it I never spent a penny at Oxford either and getting them out from where they were up to the near the top of the league before I left on things that nature. So I, I brutally, I didn't fall out of it, but I'm thinking, well, you've missed your opportunity now to go and manage higher up. Do you want to keep doing this? So I wanted to do something different, and I was offered the opportunity 12 years ago to, to set up a network uh, for Sunderland, a European by Mick Brown, who was Ron Atkinson's assistant at the time. And Roy Keane had just joined Sunderland, uh, or been at Sunderland, and just got promoted to Premier League. So... I started to set up a network and really enjoyed it and had a couple of opportunities at Warsaw and Notts County, uh, probably a year or two into me going into the recruitment, but I thought this was the better route now. So uh, going abroad and getting to South America, Scandinavia, all through Europe, going to any football club in Europe I want, whether it be Bayern Munich, I've only got to pick up the phone. I've made so many good contacts. If I'd love to be 40 now, going back into the game with the experience. Yeah. I've just learned from abroad, from cultures and styles of play, knowing players as well and all this kind of stuff. Um, and basically enforcing what I already knew in England or players I knew in England. Um, and I enjoyed it. So I went from Sunderland to Everton, then to Aston Villa. Now, Wolves offered, uh, Wolverhampton offered me a position about a year ago now. So I took up their offer of doing Europe as well. I do a bit of home as well. But I do. So I've spent the last 12 years basically Europe, Scandinavia and South America, but still do a lot of one-to-one stuff as well, which I quite enjoy as well. So I had a good, um, built up a good friendship with a lad called Stefan de Vrij, who's now into Milan. So I, yeah. got to know him. I got to know him at Feyenoord and five years ago before the Brazil 2-14 World Cup through his agent. Started to do a lot of, we used to do Northampton, body movement, body reaction. And he was a stiff runner like myself. Then suddenly he got into, can you help me with my game? Can I used to help motivate him? sort his game out and and suddenly uh, he got better and he went to Holland with the World Cup and I went out to Holland uh, with Holland to Brazil 214. I he, saw you on TV and I swear yeah. I, we saw you on TV because um, we were watching this game and I was, yeah. was sitting with the missus I think it was and I was like I think that's Ian Atkins on the TV. And she was like, she didn't even know who you were, really, to be fair. But I was like, I'm going to pause this or whatever. And we were around it. And it was you in the crowd. Oh, I'd gone out with Stefan. I was in Sao Paulo. And what actually happened was, I'm thinking, well, I'm, I'm in here with all these orange shirts on, these Dutch shirts. I'm <laughs> going to wear an orange shirt. And I thought, no, I'll wear a normal white one. So anyway, yeah. they scored right in the corner. Holland did it. It's, um, it might have been Depay who'd scored. Anyway, the camera... From the pay in injury time went straight on to me. You're right, it's still on a lot of the, the systems, the YouTube. <laughs> to me, and I'm sitting next to two young ladies here, apparently absolute darlings, apparently, but I can't remember. <laughs> but I also with me was Stefan Devry's mum and dad because obviously I got to know them because I was mentoring him and everything. So I've gone out and then I hadn't got my phone on. Then as soon as the game had ended, I'd gone off. I put my phone. On. I had about thirty messages. John Gregory, well, Daly had rang me. Big fella, just be careful who you're sitting next to. <laughs> no, so I've had a built a friendship with him, and I've been mentoring him and helping him with his game now for the last five years. So helped him with his move to Lazio from Feyenoord, and, and then he's asked me for my advice when he's gone to to Inter Milan, and 
picked up the phone and you know, I mean, where, do, where where would you go into Milan or Barcelona? Like, I think, well, oh, I think I've got the Barcelona. Like, but in the end, he goes to into Milan. So, so I, I I enjoy that and I do a lot of one to one stuff on that, which is that, and then. Uh, and also now with the LMA, which I do a lot of work for the LMA, I've become a mentor. So if any young coaches or players or managers in the lower leagues want to or conference um, want to ask questions and talk confidentiality. So I'm a mentor as well to um, to, like to players, coaches or managers, whoever wanted to be fair. So that's with the LMA. So, yeah, we're OK. The scouting job sounds, uh, the scouting yeah. jobs sound really like a great a great role, especially for someone who's, who's interested in football as you. But I guess a million dollar question is, you know, would you swap a really good scouting job for, or like for a manager's job? Which, which, which one did you prefer? Um, you like managing. It'd be, no, I enjoy the recruitment now because I, I enjoy football. And if I can go to Germany and watch three games in a day, I will. And that's how you build up your knowledge and, I've got to meet so many people over there. You know what I mean? And people who've become friends with Rudy Vollers of this world, and you know what I mean? People that never played against, but knew they were there. Do you know what I mean? Because these are international. So, got to meet a hell of a lot of people. But managing is managing. You I wouldn't say you're in control, but that result of a Saturday, if you win, there's no better feeling. You can be on the recruitment, and your team wins. It's great. Your team loses, you feel down for the weekend. But when you're managing, you're managing for everybody, not just yourself, for the supporters, the players, staff, everybody. And when you win, on it's uh, there's no better feeling. When you lose, honestly, you you don't down. And for me, the losing of a Saturday was a, a real down. And the, on the Sunday, I'll be back again preparing for the Saturday. So, I think uh, it's a testament to your standing at the football club that you are held in such high regard and. I would say 99% of fans and everyone connected to the club, you know, you know, put the um, relegation to one side and just think about the good times. It's probably a good time to wrap up now because um, we've been talking for a fair while. But, um, you know, I, I've, I've said, you know, thank you for all your efforts and, you know, Andy does the same. And it'd be good to see you back up at Sixfields more often when you can and uh, perhaps, you know, give us a few players like that you've seen on the uh, <laughs> European circuit, you know what I mean? I think Rackham is just out of the Northampton range. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I should think so, yeah. but you never know. I was always saying, like, Graham Carr's a really, you know, hotshot yeah. scout, isn't he? Well, I don't know if he still does it, but surely he must find someone who's, like, cheap as chips that he could just send us over from Portugal. So, they are, know. but again it's, again, it's up to the manager if he wants to take a game. We'll go back to the managers, up to managers, coaches, players, what do they like? You know what I mean? It's, yeah. Uh, it is a different world now from what it was in the late 90s, I can guarantee you that player-wise, I don't think the quality's there like it was then. Um, I don't think the heart or the desire's there. And again, it was heart and desire basically. They've got crowds going, like the Northampton crowd, because at least yeah. they knew their team was going to be in a game when I was manager. And if we lost, they couldn't say anything about it, really, apart from we may have been unlucky or the other team were better, because they knew that the team and players would give everything. And you can't lower down the first and second division. You can't ask for anything more than that for me. But now I don't. I think it should be a lot more of that nature in the Premiership as well. I mean, more of a connection with the supporters. I, I agree. Um, uh, we talked a bit a bit about this with uh, people like Tom Aaron and that, and um, like how the connections probably not as good between no. fans and players anymore, and between all the club, the club, you know, the interconnectivity and stuff. But um, Andy, let's let's wrap up here now. Um, yeah. You know, um, 
like I said, some brilliant memories, and mm. um, it would be great to see him back, you know, back in for media duties or whatever, wouldn't it? Six, when it starts, yeah, it would. I, Ian sounds like he's very busy, you know, but yeah, obviously, I will always be very welcome back at Northampton, I, I'm, I'm sure. And having spoken to Ian Clarkson earlier this week, he's on about getting a a reunion together before too long of the of the 97 98 team so um that's something to work towards hopefully i think what i've got andy as well i was going to mention before i mean i be fair from my from my days um the training tops everything wembley's uh i've moved out even not so i've got a lot of stuff in storage but i've got so much northampton memorabilia shirts shorts oh, yeah. that era um and it's in my loft and when I get it out of there, maybe you can set a night up with the supporters and I'll bring yeah. it up in auction. Be brilliant. Uh, yeah. Maybe you yeah. can go to Ian Sampson's academy. You know what I mean? So it can go back yeah. into the, something. Oh, cool. The, that's, that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah that'd be brilliant. We'll go back into yeah. the supporters. So it's yeah. like three or four coach journeys away for them. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah, and it wouldn't, it wouldn't, um, it wouldn't, it wouldn't hurt to have a little museum in the football club with all the successes as well. So I think that's something they are thinking about. So um, yeah. we, we, we can pass that on. But this is grassroots stuff and everything. So I bet it'd be, I think people like it. But as I said before, I want to get out of storage. Um, Sue maybe said something with supporters. I'll come down and we'll have a, have a night and throw everything together. And yeah, again, that'd be brilliant. Stuff and yeah. They give it in, Cam- in Sam's Academy or. Brilliant. Or, yeah. uh, no, or, thanks, Ian. That, that'd be super. Yeah. Anything with uh, Lotto on our land. But uh, listen, guys, it's been <laughs> brilliant talking to you both. Oh, and um, the shirts as well from Wembley with Wembley on it as well. I mean, the orange. I mean, so I've got a lot of there. And I'm thinking, well, I don't. Yeah, I mean, why is it stuck now? So I'd rather give it supporters some from our era and maybe some of the the the, the younger element now who didn't realise what we were about at that period of time, but just read books and see photos and. There's some memorabilia there, so uh, yeah. yeah, looking more than more than happy letting them have it. No problem. That'll be a really important part of like uh, talking about the club's identity too, and and just uh, talking about those sort of days and what and what it meant to be a cobbler's player and a fan and you know a manager in those days. So we'll definitely try and look to bring that together. But no uh, I'm going to wrap it up here. Uh, I'm yeah, I said thank you, and um, yeah, we'll see you soon at um, Sixfields, uh, hopefully, Ian, and. Yeah, uh, no problem. Let's hopefully see some, uh, you know, winning more winning football at Sixfields. We, you know, we love it. Yeah, but my season can end and we can get into the playoffs and who knows, maybe another way. And yeah, uh, finish on a good note, but at the moment, no one seems to know. Yeah, thanks, Ian. And um, thanks, Andy. Uh, We've been doing some good podcasts and, you know, this this is one of my, probably my favourite because of uh, all the memories and the feelings it brings back. But I'll speak to you both soon. You take care. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Thanks, Ian. Thanks, Tom. Bye-bye. 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 Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. 
Are you a reality TV junkie? Do you ever think, dang, I wish I had someone to talk to about all the trash TV that I watch? Well, look no further, garbage lover, because Reality Gaze is a podcast for you. Hello, I'm Maddie. And I'm Poodle, and we're the Reality Gaze. We talk about all your favorite unscripted shows like The Golden Bachelor, Love is Blind, and TLC's big, messy behemoth, 90 Day Fiance. And if you're driving to work, folding laundry, or just pretending to listen to your husband talk about sports, just put on the pod, and you've instantly got two gay besties spilling all the tea and reading these people for filth. So come at us, y'all. Find Reality Gaze wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com <laughs> 